welcome to episode 25 of Miniatures Monthly at the Creighton Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston and I'm joined by Tom Senior. Hello. And our first ever guest on Miniatures Monthly, a friend of pod and community member, Matt Chimp Ward. Hello. I didn't know how to refer to you, so I said all three names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, where, where you've heard us in the past refer to you, uh, our friend Chimp. Uh, well, that is me. That is I. Indeed. And you're uh, fresh back from a CNC community outing. To yes. Brotherhood. Yeah, a trial by fire. This is an AOS team competitive event, I believe. Yes. Competi- I said that like I don't know what it means, because <laughs> I don't. Capital C. Uh, we'll, we'll go in more detail about it after after the news, but in if you had to sum up the uh, how well it went with a noise, what noise would that be? <laughs> oh, that was like a three... A noise in three acts. <laughs> I heard tragedy, I heard a little bit of victory... We'll learn the results later. Yeah. Uh, good. I mean, that qualifies as a spoiler. So we were originally going to record this uh, yesterday, which means nothing to you, listener, who has no idea what day it is for us now. But um, we decided to put it back a day because for once we were actually forewarned of Warhammer news. And it would have been actually incredible if we'd recorded yeah. it yesterday because we would have missed <laughs> so much news. Um, but we waited for the day after the uh, reveals at LVO. Uh, which means that we've actually got a ton of news for once, and it's relatively recent mm-hmm. for once. Um, the only word I've written here is Robert Horse. This references uh, a quite a substantial and increasingly weird expansion to the Adeptus Mechanicus. Yeah, so um, the Knights of Sidonia have arrived, <laughs> and they're, they're metal men riding re- metal horses, or dogs. I think they look like horses to me. They look like horses to me, but they are called Cerberus Sulphurhounds. Okay, well, that's very doggish, isn't it? It is. Um, they, uh, on a steel horse, they ride. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you want them, dead or alive? Uh, not really. Ooh. Um, Ooh. I, the, the, uh, I, I love the Skitari range, the, the Abnek range, but it's gone in so many wild directions now that I don't know how I could make them look coherent across the course of so many different styles and models. Do you feel like the direction they've gone in is away from... From your desire. The, the thing is, like, I've, I've envisioned mine as being like wastelanders, which I guess the Night Society does, does fit into that. They do look like kind of Wild West guys with mm. dual pistols yeah. on dog back. And a flamer for a mouth. Yeah, as in the Wild West. <laughs> Happened often. Um, but there are also new flyers with bat wings. Yeah. And they're called Taraxii. Taraxii. Fantastic. <laughs> That's Roman pronunciation. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> a Roman pterodactyl pronunciation. <laughs> Uh, so the, they sort of match the big ship that they The ornithopter. The, it's all yeah. very dune. That's, yeah. yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, so they've got bat wings now, some of them, and some of them have got dog horses. And so, But then there's the transport, which looks like a World War Two kind of landing, landing craft. craft. Mm, yeah. And it's just a load of different, such weird, sporadic influences. <laughs> you were cold on the transport before. Yeah. You're still cold on the transport. Still cold on the transport, despite the fact it's going to be quite useful given that all I own is infantry. <laughs> but I did say I was gluing together some uh, uh, Sicarian rust stalkers, which are spinning mm. cool dudes with big swords, who um, are, are quite cool special infantry. Uh, but I feel as though they're getting away from that into strange territory now with the Admech. I feel like the... So there's like a dial um, probably on Tom Walton's desk that uh, at one end is World War One, yes and at the other is Wild Wild West <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? yeah and, and you can just age. turn that whichever direction you want like I'm, I'm sort of I feel like because I, I think there's an interesting 
because I think things like the, the Rust Stalkers fit this kind of like mad cyber beast contraption thing that the mm. Admech have. Um, but other things are like, like the, the Dune Crawler or like mm. the, are more like, they are like solid looking vehicles. They have mm. some of that kind of, you know, uh, like older than, if, if all Space Marine tanks are actually World War II tanks, mm. a lot of Admech stuff is sort of World War One-ish, you can like the long coats and stuff like that. Yeah, right. Um, but, um, and, but then I feel like if like the dragoons, like the 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 walkers, were made now, they'd just be like one big man giving the tiny man the piggyback ride. You know what I mean? Like there's some sort of like difference in like when do you use it? When do you make a robot dog and when do you make a car? Seems to be a like mm. a yeah. And when do you make a question a, like a Castellan robot, which is a humanoid kind of 1950s co- yeah. conception of what the future might look like? So when the Admet were first released, I think they were two different armies. Mm. Mm. It was um, Skitarii and whatever the servitor faction was called. Right. So that right. is probably why some of it feels schizophrenic. Mm. Why the newer stuff feels schizophrenic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do like... I think the, the Birdmen, the Teraxii, are a more successful version of the... what they're called? Space Marines in the Baby Bounces. Um, <laughs> in Suppressors. Inceptors or suppressors or both? Both. Both. Yeah. They're sort of like hovering troop with a big gun yeah. sort of thing. I feel like it worked a little bit better yeah, with cool. these guys because they're spindly. A bit more elegant. It's a weird way. Yeah. It's a strange <laughs> thing to say about a, a cyber birdman, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. But no, I, I, I... It's just a... I love the Ornithopter, actually, and I think it's mm. nice that there's stuff that matches it. Mm. But it does feel like... It feels like that, that would be like a style of army. Like, you go for beast-heavy... Mechanicus, yeah. or tank heavy Mechanicus, or something. Mm. I was thinking earlier, like you could do a, a fun fast attack army with just a load of the flyers, the the ship, a load of the kind of big long spindly runners, the striders, and that could look quite cool. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like, I think uh, that would look cohesive. It'd probably play quite. Be really fun I mean, there might be a danger here that we're, we're approaching thinking about forty k like AOS players, where you sort of assume that you end up with one of everything in the army to some mm. extent. Whereas mm. I think a lot of forty k yeah, like, people don't necessarily have scout marines in their space marine force, or loads yeah. of tanks in their space marine force, or whatever. Um, <laughs> they, they can't. They're, they're allowed to, but yeah. Mm. Um, speaking of AOS, and not to beat around the bush any further, um, <laughs> love the name Lumineth Realm Lords. The Lumineth, mm. the glowing lords of Hish. <laughs> so the Hish. the naming convention for elves and AOS is to have F. Yeah, it's yeah. it's um, element F. Um, it's so it's element F adjective. Type of sort of familial kind of bond. Ideneth Deep Kin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lumineth Realm Lords. Yeah. Uh, I think we'll probably get when Malerians lot come along. Yeah. It will be Umbraneth. Uh, <laughs> Umbraneth Shadowbound. I'm going to guess that now. And if I'm. <laughs> I was going to say Dark Lads. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the, the first guess is a little better than that. Yeah, this is why I don't work with GW. <laughs> I, I actually now kind of get to make up fantasy nonsense for a living to some extent, which is great because sometimes you just write needs a fantasy word and you come back to it later. You can drop anything in. Yeah, it's fine. nice. Uh, it's, it's actually these single. So this is uh, high elves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been living in the realm of lights all this time. Uh, no one's been able to get in because it's too bright. Yeah. And now here they are. And four years of everyone going, what are the high elves going to look like? Yeah. And they look like. I I was saying a few days before the reveal, I was chatting with you, Jim, and was saying, you know, I really miss the kind of ranked infantry of just spears and Mm. big hats. 
I think mm. the, the kind of elegance of their their white robes and the silver and the kind of nobility of that the, the way they stand. Um, they're not going to do that. It's just going to be they're going to be you know all on weird kind of eagles that are also part dove and part Tyrannosaurus Rex or something. And <laughs> then they reveal it and it's like oh here are some it's a, there's some high elves on horses. And they look great. And here are some high elves of spears, and they look really cool too. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it looks like a really old school infantry army. And then the release file for AOS is there. It's like, here's Altharian. He's back, but he's invisible now. <laughs> and it's just his floating armour. Also, well. by the way, Teclis is back, mm-hmm. and he's floating near his best friend, a griffin. He's got an, or a, a sphinx. A sphinx. A sphinx. Yeah, yeah. A sphinx. What a strange, almost creepy model that sphinx is. Yeah. It's got this kind of uh, human mask. I think so. Face. The implication in the description on the website on the on Warhammer community is it's, it's called Selenar, and the implication is that it might be one of the god beasts, like it, Ooh, like because uh, it's supposed to be like the spirit of Haish or Hish or however you pronounce it, yeah. like which is not quite you know god beasts traditionally are like the titans of yeah. um, mm-hmm. of AOS, but they sort of seem to have that level of importance. So it's not like his mount; it mm. is like a friend he's made. Presumably to replace Tyrion, <laughs> <laughs> um, who isn't present. Um, yeah, I've just started watching Picard, and uh, Picard's retired to his uh, ranch, and he's got a dog called Number One, and this kind of feels like <laughs> the Tyrion Techniest relationship. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's was, an extraordinary model. <laughs> I was also, on, on a similar note, I was wondering, like, so Eltharion, who is a hero of the High Elves during the End Times, and actually a major focal character for the High Elves, who was turned into dust by Arkan. Mm. Which is bad luck. Um, he's back and his soul is like encased in the suit of armor. So, like, the, so the story is, if you're not aware, is that they've successfully extracted enough elf souls from Slanesh now to mm. make them anew. And they fuck it up once, and that's the Deepkin. <laughs> <laughs> and they go and live in a barnacle under the sea. Um, and then this time he's gotten it right and he's he's made it, you know, like. We assume. He, he, we assume. It is Teclis we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He doesn't get it right very often. <laughs> right. So what I'm asking is what went wrong with Eltharion? <laughs> Why doesn't he have a body? And is the, is he permanently animating the suit of armor? Or do they keep like the armor in a box and then like tip it out onto the battlefield and hope that he's around to pick it up? To animate it. I hope, I hope he is in the armour all the time. Because the implication is that otherwise, invisible Eltharian is sort of wandering around in Hish. Yeah, walking into the shower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's, a, it's a bit like the Avatar of Cain, isn't it, really? Mm. That, that's a kind of hollow suit of armour that they imbue with this, the spirit of Cain and goes around chopping people with a big sword. Maybe Eltharian's kind of like that now. That's something. Yeah, well, because didn't, because Tyrion ended the end times as the Avatar of Cain, I think. I'm so pretty sure. Uh, it so was, Teclis was the... Te- not Teclis. So te- Teclis was the embodiment of light. Of light. Yeah. Tyrion, I think... Because it, wasn't it Malekith or Malyrian that subsequently became, actually became the, the Phoenix King? This yes. will mean nothing to people who aren't... <laughs> like, yeah. And so there's this sort of big swapping of things. And now Tyrion is the big fight bastard. Yes. Or whatever. And, Something like that. Yeah, and now he's blind. <laughs> And he's also gone. <laughs> mm. Well, there's more models to be revealed, so we don't know. That's that true. Mm. might be part of the army. You know, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah, the range they've showed so far is feels very incomplete. Yeah, there's going to be some obviously some archers, probably some horse archers, mm. and probably some heavy swordsmen. Yeah, there is. It's, it's hard to tell. And the first piece of concept art they show, which focuses on all the, horse, the horsemen charging, it as it slowly pans out, you can see that the infantry character in the front of the frame is an archer. Ah. So I'm assuming yeah. that that infantry kit is like the... Because mm. they're called... Are they called the Venati? Or... I don't Venari? Know. I think it's Venari. Because it's like Numati. Because it was a magnetic thing. Uh, okay. like, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, that seems like it's likely to be a dual kit. The cavalry seem like it's likely to be... 
a yeah. dual kit with horse archers, probably. Ooh, horse archers. Yeah, that'd be rad. Do like a horse archer. I love the, um, the shield models because they've got little notches in the shield to rest their spears on, which mm. is a kind of ode to ranked fighting, uh, even though they're on round bases, of course. I saw, uh, we didn't talk about this because we uh, were mid-pod break at the time, but obviously the old world is coming, whatever that means. Oh, yeah. Like, mm. you know, that this kind of fantasy mm. battle revival. And I saw, like, I don't know if I was going to give heed to mad internet conspiracy theories, but I saw heed that, like, these might be an example of models that are compatible with both systems, because mm. there's not a lot about them that says you couldn't run them as... Both mm. one high elves, really. Yeah. Right. The the, the line troops. I mean. Yeah. Right. And seemed legit to me. Don't know. Like, yeah. but that's assuming so many things about what old world would even be. That yeah. How useful that is. is it's that place to chaos knights as well. I don't think even Games Workshop know what old worlds is going to be yet. Given right. this state mm. when they released the video saying it's happening at some point in, in years. They said years, yeah. multiple. So yeah. So knows. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, and this, there must be quite a lot of range left to show, like, mm. presumably not unnamed heroes, because, like, yeah. yeah, and I doubt, I, what do you guys think of the techless model? Because that's, I think that's interesting, as a kind of... It's such, it's, it's a strange model. Um, I think I like it, but it's weirdly kind of asymmetrical, which is, mm. like, we're used to there being a certain type of hero pose to... But it doesn't have to be completely symmetrical. There's Some a kind of waves on a big horse. Yeah, often. It's, given yeah. that it's from the three, just occurred to me, it's from literally the realm of symmetry. Yes. It's so lopsided. I think I know, I know what you mean because it has two really prominent faces, yes, right, as yes. in where the focal point would be, mm. and neither of them are in the middle. Mm. Like, even with a model like Catacross, for example, which has a lot going on, yes. there's a really clear central focal point mm. for the model. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also a kind of uh, the, the Catacross one. It elevates to him like he's also the tallest, yeah. the biggest thing yeah. on, the, on the base. Whereas the biggest thing on that base is obviously the, this possibly a god beast thing, which is an extraordinary model in it of itself. Mm. Um, but also, like, I'm not so sure about like Tempest's poise as well, where it's kind of this uh, T posing <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Um, and he just looks quite grumpy, which he always does, I suppose. He's yeah. always mm. that way. So I'm not so sure about it. I need to see it in the flesh, really. To, to yeah, I saw it from a few it. different angles today, and I think it's, it's obviously super impressive. Mm. Like eventually, they are going to have a model standing on like a single droplet of water. Yes, yeah, right. Um, as opposed to many droplets of water, which they already did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but yeah, it was a little bit. I think you're right about Texas. Suppose the concept art they showed has him with his arms sort of swept back like right. he's sort of gliding forward like Doctor Strange or something which yeah, I thought really was nice slightly more dramatic than like you say the kind of praise the sun yeah. the hardest kit bash in the world but you shouldn't need to kit bash that no that's true out. and I can imagine quite a few people maybe changing it so that he's simply riding the Sphinx <laughs> yeah yeah I part of me wonders with the Teclas model is you've got the designers who are used to designing crazy AOS models being mm. made to do rank and flank and then someone goes okay now make techless and they go how can I show off my <laughs> yeah, ridiculous right. ability to design yeah. plastic miniatures yeah. let's make this an Eltharian and he's holding on by the smallest bit of plastic I had the stupidest moment looking at Eltharian so Eltharian is you know because the armour is completely hollow I was trying to look at how it all fits together and obviously he's not like a sculpted piece of terrain yeah mm. and I was like, how, what the hell is his boot attached to? Because his boot isn't attached to any part of his armor. His boot is attached to the ground. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> like, had the same thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, that's actually a genuinely cool model because it's yeah. like a magic trick. It's interesting because it's such a great model, but it's the first one that I think is like actively like almost like golden demon. Uh, trap like there's probably no way like because it's mm-hmm. like we just haven't. It doesn't have all of the traditionally hardest parts of a model yeah. okay. to paint. 
Yeah. No face, no skin, no... like the, the reverse of the Tidecaster Golden Demon bait. Yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, I also think Catacross is a Golden Demon trap as well, because it's like this amazing pre-built diorama, mm-hmm. but the yeah. reason people always did absurd dioramas where everyone's standing on the stairs yeah. was to differentiate themselves. Yeah, so... I reckon we're going to get like loads of catacross but on bigger sets of stairs. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm into this. Yeah, sounds fantastic. Um, Teclis could be a golden demon. It's got that oh, type yeah. of substance, substance texture, I suppose. <laughs> Fur, flesh, pants, pants. Big pants. He's got big pants. Hasn't he's he? got big pants on. Yeah. yeah. I've seen lots of tweets with Teclis and MC Hammer in them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was inevitable, I suppose, wasn't it? Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see that model in person because also you don't realize how big it is because I think you pointed out earlier, uh, Jim, that like Alariel is tall. Like mm. she, even the beetle's yeah. big, but she is big. So yeah. if Teclis is the same sort of size, which it'd be weird if he wasn't, mm. then that is massive. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, yeah. 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 We need to get someone doing some science to work out how big the base <laughs> of that Sphinx is. And then we can extrapolate from there. Yeah, right. The if it's the, like the massive Archeon base, like the 160 mm. mil one, that it could be. Yeah, it could be huge. Yeah. I reckon it's massive. <laughs> he's going to be big as dude, that Teclis. He's not. He's a god now. He's they get bigger. That's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's just science. It's just the law. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, um, just yeah. I think that, that is fair. I guess you can either go wide or tall because Ariel isn't that big. Because Nagash very tall, Archeon very, very tall. tall. Yeah, like Teclis yeah. wide, more crusher wide. Yeah, mm. wide and like squat. Yeah, yeah. the easiest to transport, oh, so most throwable. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, actually, speaking of Arkham, we didn't put it on this news list, but it was since we did the last podcast. Um, AOS campaign books are a thing. Ah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah cool. Wrath of yeah, the Everchosen is coming relatively soon, which is yeah. So I, this was an interesting one. So this is the so in the Bone Daddy's book, mm. uh, Osiak Bone Reapers. <laughs> in the Bone Daddy's book, there's a. <laughs> Almost like a throwaway bit where it's like, oh, and yeah, Catacross is invading the all points. And you go, oh, wow, that's a hook. Yeah. That's a hook for the next bit of AOS lore. And then Slaves to Darkness comes out and it, it doesn't mention Catacross. It doesn't mention Catacross. It mentions that, like, there's, you know, it's like there's. There's been some disruptions at service on the line to the realm of death. Like, <laughs> like experiencing 30-minute delay, delays on the chaos train. Yeah. Um, but then, and then, well, it's interesting because the end of the Slaves to Darkness book says um, Archeon is, is you know, calling in some other allies to help with this. Mm-hmm. And that's the Disciples of Zinch book, which runs oh. with it again. And then the Disciples of Zinch book, all it does is confirm that the entire Necroquake was Zinch's fault. Nice. <laughs> I feel like uh, that's doing Skaven a bit of disservice there. It actually literally says in the Disciples of Zinch book that Zinch called in a favour with the Great Horned Rat. (laughs) (laughs) Like the Great Horned Rat owed him one. (laughs) I like to think the Great Horned Rat simply will do anything to get to hang out with the big kids. So (laughs) it's like Zinch just does that kind of thing like, oh, do you want to come over and do my homework with me Mm. for me? (laughs) By by uh, you know bullying a bigger nerd basically. Oh. Is, is Nagash in remission now? What's his his? Thing? He's chilling. He's chilling. He's got a two up save now. He's loving it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Dead and loving. It. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah, and the, so this, so Wrath of the Chosen is is the first apparently of multiple campaign books, which seem like mm. they'll do what forty k campaign books do, which is expand select factions. 
give you an extra book to carry around. That's exciting. But yeah, it's interesting that Slow Darkness getting one so soon. Well, it's Slow Darkness and OCR Bone Reapers yeah. so soon mm-hmm. after both of their battle times. Yeah, that's really cool. I don't wonder what the content in that's going to be because um, the last one we had was Forbidden Power. Yeah. Um, which obviously didn't bring much by way of non-story content, shall we mm. say. Gave mm. us the Legion of Grief. And that's about it. Whereas a lot of the 40k books, all the Psychic Awakening stuff that's coming out, is um, GW throwing rules at Space Marines. Mm. As many rules as they can print. <laughs> sort of this big list of all the ones that are yet, all the factions that are yet to get the Psychic Awakening treatment. Mm. And um, someone compiled this, like, what's yet to come, what the pairings are likely to be, because, you know, Tower coming because they're getting a yeah. model. Orcs are coming because Gazgul is, <laughs> is coming oh, yeah. back. Um, uh, Space Wolves are Jews, a bunch of other things due on the list, and they've just simply forgotten to put Necrons on the list. Oh, <laughs> it's like, excellent. Oh, oh, we'll go to bed. <laughs> Not traditionally the most psychic of races. No, but everyone's getting something, right? Yeah. Like the book after this one that they've just announced is like what? Imperial Knights, Chaos Knights, Demons, and Admech. and Admech. Well, even Admech are getting yeah. on the list. So yeah. yeah. Meanwhile. I was hoping for... I'm, I'm really hoping for Plastic Tras and the Infinite. Mm. I think that's mm. the most likely while they're doing this victory lap of it's, characters people miss. If you get a character at all, mm. Grey Knights, Thousand Suns. That's true. I was going to say Thousand Suns have kind of had their treats <laughs> relatively Grey recently. Knights. Poor Grey Knights. <laughs> no one cares about Grey Knights. Uh, yeah, I mean, they could just release a new spray can. <laughs> <laughs> like, slightly brighter, bluer, lead belcher. and you've, They did that. Not in a spray. Not in a spray, that's true. <laughs> I'm missing a trick there. Um, but yeah, so no idea what Wrath of the Abjection will mean other than I'm kind of excited about it. But I've also meant, meant I've sort of paused some of my like really committed like Slaves to Darkness list building simply because it's going to get changed, in it? Possibly. Yeah. Do you think there'll just be a bit for the uh, in the death section of that book saying, you know that bit in the Ossiart Bone Reapers where it says Petrifex Elite? Just put a big red cross <laughs> through that. Here's some new words. <laughs> God damn, that, that's not impossible. Like the um, the cover has Archaon fighting some skeletons, um, but on not on Dorgar, which is interesting. Dorgar's in the background eating yeah. some skeletons separately, and so this has led to the the theory that I would love, which is Archaon or foot. Mm-hmm. Because Arkham went up loads of points and Dorgar got pointedly better. Mm-hmm. But, it, right. but because there's a whole Slave of Sedanus sub-faction built around Archeon that you can build in a, a, a few different ways, but because of the bonuses to Varangard, it kind of doesn't make any sense to not have Varangard, mm-hmm. and that immediately accounts for at least 1,100 points. <laughs> so there's probably not many armies there, whereas yeah. suddenly Ever Chosen as a faction becomes way more interesting if there is a 400-point Archeon on your yeah. own, like a Gotrek kind yeah. of equivalent. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So Dorgar was his horse... So yeah. there's definitely not going to be a horse-based one because it's a big three-headed monster now. Yeah, he couldn't have gone to like a son of Dorgar. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but no, like I'd be totally. I, uh, yeah, it'd be really weird to have the option be either like 800 point dragon monster or mm. foot slogging Archeon. They must. They would have to do something else with them, I think. But yeah, yeah mm. like give him a disc or <laughs> <laughs> skateboard. I don't know. Maybe skulls. Made of skulls. Made of skulls. Skullboard. <laughs> you know. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, he doesn't have the other things. He doesn't have a slanesh mount because Dorgar's all the other th- things. I mean, ah, yeah, so chariot. Okay, on on boob snake. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fine. Sold. Um, speaking of snakes, 
This is a segue. Mm-hmm. Seraphim book. Yeah. Sorry, so professional. Thanks. It's um, Seraphim the first Airways book to come out. What is that right? One of the three first. I think oh, it's 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 Stormcast, Fire Slayers, Stormcast, Corn, Bloodbounds, and then. Seraphim. Yeah, and then the Fire Slayers were the first new range that wasn't right. those two. Yes. Yeah. Wasn't the core box two. Yeah. yeah. So they were super early, and therefore they, until now they've lacked leads, abilities, and loads of the extra stuff that yeah. modern books have. They're super janky, basically. Right. And does this, does this mean that we're going to get some new models? No. I don't think so. I'm shaking my head. Yeah. They're getting terrain. They're getting the ziggurat. Yeah, it's just, it looks massive. <laughs> Can't be bigger than the Ossiac Bone Reaper. That's terrain. true. <laughs> Weirdly, seeing that in person, the bone tied Nexus, mm. I thought it was smaller than I thought it would be. <laughs> what I was slightly disappointed. <laughs> oh. I wanted it to be like, you know, Nagash size tall, but it's sort of not quite there. Mm. That's, um, I mean, thank God. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they're getting a, they're getting a ziggurat. Mm. Um, cool. They, it feels like something like Endless Spells. It didn't feel like it was completely exhaustive. I wouldn't be surprised if they got Endless mm. Spells because they, mm. they revealed like, the Zinch stuff and didn't re- re- reveal the Ender Spells till later. Okay. Yeah, that's true. Um, what the Ender Spells could be? Isn't um, Shitloads of Snakes. Well, the Seraphim <laughs> just like one giant Ender Spell. <laughs> yeah. Well, so one of the interesting things they described is they sort of talk about like the journey of them from, you know, their humble origins to the them being space police, which is what they are now, yeah. mm-hmm. to this other kind of uh, entity that they're becoming. Yeah. So I wonder if they're going to do a big because they've been kind of going back slightly on there. They're actually all dreams. They're all memories. They're a dinosaur's dream. Yeah. Um, a frog's dream. A frog's dream of a dinosaur so policeman. The word they introduced <laughs> in the um, LVO preview article was the coalesced, I think they call mm-hmm. it, which suggests some sort of unifying consciousness of some kind. Right. So I wonder if they might use that to kind of say, like, your army could be coalesced, which is the kind of dream ghost mm-hmm. time dinosaur thing. Or they could just be some dinosaurs. They could just like, be some To give that... Range. They're still fighting Corvus Column is Doom Moon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want more lore around that moon. Give me the moon stories. Um, I think pointedly though, this is the year of, um, cats with human faces. Yeah. Like the age cool. of the moon is behind us. Yeah. The age of moon with human faces behind us. Yeah. It's, cat now. it's, it's now cat face. Uh, I, I think. No, death, death and destruction don't have cat face people yet. Are they kind of death? Don't give people the hope of Tomb Kings again. No, yeah, no, exactly. The Necrosphinx was the original cat face human, human, fa- human faced cat monster. Yes, um, with wings. I saw a, a picture of um, a goat with a human face this week. It was in the news. Did you guys see it? No. no. Well, it was a bit, um, <laughs> I get worshipped as a god. Uh, and then a few days later, I tune in uh, to Warhammer Community mm. and realise that that turns out to be the future direction for all of AOS. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That one goat with a human face. Yeah. Um, we could move on from goats to zotes, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Or one zote, only one zote. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. I, I don't think there's much to say about Blackstone Fortress's lonely zote, uh, which is essentially a lizard centaur with a gun. Mm. I love that um, Blackstone Fortress is just a kind of refuge for every nonsense idea that uh, so yeah. monster designers had once in Games Workshop's history. That's a great place to put them all. Yeah, it's a zoo. It's Perfectly a zoo. flat psychic bear next. Oh, yeah. We can dream. We can dream. I love the idea that those, I think those models have ever been made, but I love the idea that that was like a concept artist just handing like an easy Friday to the model design team. <laughs> yeah, right. I just roll out some green stuff. <laughs> yes. yeah. Jobs are good and draw a bear, <laughs> draw a bear on yeah. it. <laughs> um... Yeah, so is there anything I want to say about Seraphim? Like, I'm really excited to see what happens when they become a... I think of the 
there are two order factions that I would do if I ever wanted to do like a thousand points for order doubles or something. Mm. Mm. And Seraphin are one of them, just because I love the dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've been like, I don't, I've only, I played against them in a bunch and it's always been Jank City, Wizard oh, Town. Incredible bullshit army. Yeah. So I don't know, I'm sort of expecting like a different army, basically. Yeah, just yeah. a straight up, like, mm-hmm. it's, it's different now. Yeah. Because, Traditionally, Games Workshop have seen sort of reticent to do any grand scale rewriting of the original printed War Scrolls. Mm. But <clears throat> the last KO book, they basically just said, ignore the last one, yeah. we'll try again. <laughs> Done it again. Yeah. All new, all different. So maybe there's a bit more, they're feeling like they can do some wilder changes, especially now it's four years old. Oh, I yeah. remember, right? How, you know, Slime used to just be like a turret that's sitting in the corner of the board and just nukes off with mortal wounds. <laughs> and, you know. Let's just have something a bit more fun than that, perhaps, for the other yeah. player. Or summon, infinite summon batteries to spew forth skinks across the table. <laughs> yeah, skinks are pretty good. Skinks are still pretty good battle line, aren't they? With really cheap battle yeah. to order army. Basically, screen. all modern Seraphon armies just seem to be one slam and 8,000 skinks. <laughs> Poor Saurus. I like the Saurus. Poor Saurus. Yeah. Models. <laughs> they do need new models. I don't think they're that bad, but, you know... Yeah, Saurus. campaign for two wounds, Saurus, please. Yeah. And all the two wounds, a Saurus should be two wounds. It should definitely be two wounds. Yeah, yeah. that that seems likely to me with yeah. like most most dwarves going to two wounds. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, right, Saurus has bigger bases as well, aren't they? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe thirty twos, mm. probably thirty mm. two Stormcast bases, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or they're forties. They're still forties. Yeah, uh, you should know this. I should. Kyro <laughs> and Pink Horus from thirties. Ah, I see. Yeah, in Zangle. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I think the only thing I wanted to point out. So the the, the other thing they revealed was this: the new uh, Nurgle Underworlds Warband oh, yes. with the red-looking sorcerer, mm. but mm. also who has a wretch leg, which is a cat with a human face. I thought that was going to be the segue you went for. Yeah. No. Well, it's the opposite of the segue. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like, I like that little guy. Thumbs up. I'm excited for the Mind Stealer Sphinx to come out. I think that's going to be real dumb. Apparently, it's big. Totally. Yeah, it's big. Like the it, you can't underestimate because it's a ten wound monster. So mm. you know, I think it's on one of the big cavalry bases. Mm. So yeah, oh, and the Fomeroid Crusher is also out. So. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something you buy in boots. So uh, the uh, the Nurgle. Uh, Oh, the Nurgle Warband. War yeah. How many three model Warbands war are there? Is it like three? three? There's a couple three. now. There's all of the Stormcast yeah. ones are three. Oh, models. yeah. There's three. three. four yeah. of them. Mm. There's Troll. The Troll armies. Just That's the Troll models. That's four models. Yeah. yeah. There's the... Um, no, Magor's Friends is four. Mm. Yeah, because they've got the Doggo. Yeah. I think it's just the Stormcast ones. Yeah, there's not many. This is interesting. Oh, and the Wolves. Uh... Oh, the Wolf yeah, 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 yeah. Wolf Riders, of course. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, the Goblins. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think it kind of makes sense. I mean, like two kind of Black Kings. And yeah. Sorcerer. Uh, mm-hmm. Super tough and regenerating the world. Yeah. Cool. I'd like to play Wolf Beast Grave. I haven't played for ages. Man. Yeah. Yeah, I miss uh, the Wild Underworlds. The video game is in kind of beta phase at the moment. It's not coming out in a few months. Oh, cool. In early access. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh, oh yeah, and there's, there's loads of Warcraft factions coming out. This We're going for pre-order this oh, weekend, yeah. actually, which is right. That's the game I want to play the most at the moment, Warcraft. Yeah. yeah. Come play Warcraft, because it's yeah. great. <laughs> it's good um, stuff. But yeah, interestingly, both Zinch Mortals and Zinch Demons are separate Warcraft mm. ones, which oh, I cool. wasn't expecting. Because yeah. I don't think there's any other demon kind of presence. No, yeah, but, mm. no, it's true. Hey. 
So yeah, so that's I think that's more or less it for the news. Mm, uh, it. We could talk about what we've been up to this month. Chip, because you're the guest, you want to start with what you've done. Not including Brotherhood, because we'll get to that. But yeah, yeah otherwise, hobby, hobby, wise, hobby or hobby. playing or you know interacting with miniatures. Interacting with miniatures. I mean, basically since October, I've been desperately slopping contrast paints onto rats. Uh, having gone from no scaling for painting your scaling to so many <laughs> to so many scaling, they hate it. <laughs> well, it's one way to get rid of the local uh, local wildlife. Mm. It's just cover them in paint until they run. But um, yeah, so it's mostly been um, painting rats until I was rudely interrupted by an FAQ telling me to stop painting storm fiends now. You've painted enough. What did they points? Uh, they changed the max unit size. Oh, okay. So the incredible bullshit army I was wanting to use was uh, smaller How than I originally intended. Six. I wanted nine. Plenty. Tom. I wanted nine. Okay. <laughs> I own nine for that reason. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you? Because you, you, that was a, how many miles are in that army? Because it looks like a lot. Plenty. It is a hundred and twenty odd. Yeah. And you've done that since October. Yeah. Oh, man, that's insane. <laughs> How do you feel? With a break for Christmas. Um, I feel great now that I'm not painting rats anymore. Right. Um, I, contrast is really good. Mm. And it's really good for that project. And I'd never have painted that army without contrast existing. Because I can just put one... I can pick up 40 Plague Monks and I can say... Now I'm doing all of the robes, and I do all of the robes, and it takes me an evening yeah. instead of two weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's no joy in it, is what I found. <laughs> there's none, uh, there's sort of none of the the sort of flair or personality you can put into a, a traditional paint job. So I feel like I never want to do that again. Right. Contrast a whole army. I'd use contrast as a as a tool. Mm. Um as you do with your, your slaves to darkness. Yeah. because um... yeah, I, I mean I love contrast a bit, so I could be using it a lot now. I just got back to painting Zinch. Mm. Um and it's amazing for that. Like it's it's makes things that used to be hard really easy. And I decided rather than be bitter about it, just to kind of embrace it. Um I, I get what you mean, because you're not like doing anything on top of the contrast, right? Like, the idea is get to this finish line so you're not yeah. like you're not doing an extra dry brush over the top, it's just the robes are now done, and they are this green. Yeah, so it, it definitely was a tabletop standard job. I mean, I could go back and do some highlights on the Storm Fiends, and they'd probably look 100% better, but mm. I just didn't have time. Yeah. The most fun thing to paint in that army was the Hellpit Abomination. <laughs> oh man, yeah, because it's just a skin boy. It is a sack of rats. <laughs> with some, it's such a disgusting model. It is but... so disgusting. When you're gluing, like, the tenth head on... <laughs> You're like, oh, this is truly disgusting. But um, that's fun because you can slop over Gulliman flesh and a bit of Darko flesh and then you can go in with washes and that's a bit more entertaining. Mm. But yeah, no, just sort of rote painting rats has been my my <laughs> hobby. I'm looking forward to not doing that anymore. Was there anything that you found helped that go faster? Or was it just... So... Doing enormous batches yeah. is how I got through it. So I did them in... I did all the Plague Monks in one go, so that's 40. And I did all the Clan Rats in one go, which is 60. Um, and I just sat down and would spend an evening just doing one thing. Like, here's all the skin on my 60 Clan Rats. 
and I'd hate myself by the end of the evening, but it would be done. And it's just working through it that way. I, I think if I tried to do small batches or tried to finish like 10 at a time, it would never have happened. Mm, right. That's interesting. Because I have actually just stopped. I've just made my batch size smaller. Mm. I used to do batches of like whatever the unit size is. Yeah. And I've moved to doing five as an upper limit. And actually I found that a little bit better for my pace. Okay. Um, because... Um, well, actually, the, sort of the, new, the new thing for me has been paint one thing from the unit start to finish, partly test model, particularly now the contrast, like, it's you don't want to kind of commit and then realize you approached it wrong. Um, but do one thing, and usually and try and do, like, one of the fiddlier models, so, like, the unit champion or something like that, and do that one by itself, mm. and then break everything else down into groups of five, and I found that a little bit better, but I think the only reason that's working is because contrast speeds up the boring stages so much, mm. because when I was doing, like, 30s angle I knew I would never finish that <laughs> if I didn't do all of the skin in one go because yeah. you never like if you've had the satisfaction it's like um, I don't know it's like if you had the satisfaction of finishing it yeah and but it took you six hours or something you never want to go through back to stage one yeah, or 15 yeah, you never go back to a model that's quote unquote finished I don't think you ever go back to it no I don't think you do either unless mm. no I don't think so like I I had this uh mad mad moment recently i've had some real revelations this month because <laughs> i i went back to so i um i painted a bunch of i uh, slaced the darkness towards the end of uh december and then started this month so i did like a demon prince and a sorcerer lord and then a knight uh the knight was amazing for to do simply because it's a character that's on a horse with a cape and a big shield that obscures some of its body. And I just made myself not do sub-assemblies. <laughs> like, just not going to do sub-assemblies. I Zenithal sprayed it, but, like... And it took a while to, like, to get all the metallics in and stuff. Uh, and I hated myself, like, so much. Like, I didn't... Because it's a push-fit model, didn't glue the shield on. But mm. I was like, just leave it. Just leave it. See what you can get away with. Mm. And that was actually a really useful exercise in the end. Because it showed that mm. you can't tell. No. But it turns no. out no one is... And we've said this before. No one is going to get, like, a mag light out. Yeah. And stare at its crotch. Yeah, it's not a good yeah, Like, yeah. and if they do... That's a memorable tournament <laughs> moment. <Yes. laughs> like, that's a story, right? Yeah. That's my doom night. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, so that was a mo- like again done. But then um, uh, because I th- well, I think so, Tom. I think you have had the experience of this this swathe of announcements um, from a high elf point of view, basically dooming you for some point in the future, yeah. wise. Especially because uh, again, it's having that big order collection. So I've yeah. got like a. I've got a few in a deepkin. I could just ally them into a little layout force, maybe run some stormcast with them, and just have a good time just playing some narrative stuff. Just a good elf time. Just a good elf time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't see myself buying techless or anything like that, but I, I just like the idea of having some nice big units of spin and you know put them in ranks and yeah, charge yeah. them across the board. That's exactly. Also, I... perfectly ordinary horses. They're back. They're back <laughs> chaos, of, uh, chaos, and the high elves have been holding onto them all this time. Yeah, exactly. That's where they live. Um, the reason I point that out though is because that's the one I've just had where it's uh, like Slaves to Darkness book into course. Zinch Battle Tarim. Yeah, makes sense. And I realised that I'm not... I, I picked up Ether War which is the Zinch Battle Box partly because it's just a really um, cost-efficient way of getting the Enlightened kit. Mm. Like I was mm. probably never going to do Enlightened on foot without them being like heavily discounted because you're paying quite a lot for three models yeah. and so if you're not going to assemble them in their disc form what yeah. are you doing? So what do you do with those spare discs that they just well so I, I think you're never going to not want a disc with Zinch like there's a lot of heroes like because it would be things for like I don't know why I would do with them I'm maybe using for them Thousand Suns Pogs Pogs, Pogs. Um, objective tokens uh, 
you you know you could do things like if you wanted to kit bash like another Magistron disc that mm. didn't match the other one, then slightly you... less janky looking Fate Master or whatever they're called. Right. Well, I did do my Fate Master this month, so that's Ooh. that's the oh, yeah. thing I have I have actually done now. Um, but um, but I realised that I was in striking distance of actually finishing Zinch, and that is what I decided I was just going to take a stab at and just add Zinch stuff to the rotation because it's like it would be really nice to have finished a project. Mm. I don't know what that's like. Like, I'm not just, I finished the army I wanted for this event, but like, Siege Collection's done. Mm. I think it'll be about five and a half thousand points painted when it's done. And it's like, that's right. cool. Yeah. Like, just sign off on it. Like, there are things I don't have, like I don't have Blue Scribes, I don't have Kairos, but I don't need them, you know? Like, do you not need Kairos? I don't want Kairos a bit. <laughs> don't want to paint another Lord of Change. So, we'll see. Um, but yeah, so I did the Mutal with Vortex Beast, and that was very similar to the experience you had with the uh, Hell Pit, I mm. think. Like, really nice, just contrast blend in real world, cosmic horror space monster, who is very bad. <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> uh, funny, though. <laughs> so, uh, later in this episode, you're going to get a battle report from a game that Tom and I played with the New Zealand book a couple of days ago now, where the Mutal with Vortex Beast uh, features, so I don't want to spoil too much, but... It did great. It, 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 it is trying. <laughs> Um, bless it. It turns out being a huge dog, cosmic horror dog monster with no face doesn't leave you many options for how you contribute to a war. Um, I just finished painting 10 Karakakalites, so it's all my Karakakalites done now, which is nice. Because they're good now, which yeah. is nice. Uh, and I converted and painted a Fake Master, which is the Zinch. Mm. It's basically what became of the Chaos Lord on disc. Mm. So it's a melee hero who now has a war scroll that makes sense, which is nice, and a command ability that makes sense, rather than the old command ability, which was just dumb as hell. What was the old one? The old one was, you roll a dice, and whenever the enemy, whenever your opponent rolls the whatever number you rolled, I think it's either to affect the Fake Master or in a radius around the Fake Master, you can force them to re-roll it. So it's good if you're, if you roll a six. Right. Like you have to re-roll all sixes near this level. Um, it's great for them if you roll a one. And so, (laughs) and so like, this is, there's this idea in the old Siege book and maybe this is like, this of like, ooh, fate, it's mysterious, it's Mm. capricious, what's it going to do? But there's a little bit of like, just sort of ASCII shrug about that. Like, why would I ever use yes. the sort of, how do you get the idea of fate or manipulating fate That's into a, the army without it being just like, maybe I'll get a re-roll, maybe you'll get a re-roll. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's reminiscent of a lot of the way they've written the, the Clan Scryer War Scrolls, mm. where they say, ooh, you could get this buff to do more damage, but if you roll a one, you blow up. And it's like, well, I won't ever do that <laughs> yeah, everything's ever. a plasma gun when your clans cry <laughs> um, yeah but for like so I think the main thing I've had from painting this month apart from smaller batches has been that um, all of my Zinch colour schemes are way easier to do with contrast just like way easier to do yes, and like which is really nice but I had this and I had this realisation that like even things I hadn't expected like um, Hexwraith Flame the green Nighthorn paint Ooh, that came out nice ages paint. ago I refused to buy it at the time because I was like, well, I'm doing green fire on this entire army, but I'm not buying this paint called green fire. <laughs> and it turns out it's not only, it's exactly the same as the shade of green I was getting, which was like a three-step process. And it's like a lot of, like, I don't feel like I've wasted my life. <laughs> I want to stress <laughs> that. Good. I want to stress that. But there has been this feeling of like, oh shit, I can do this real quickly now. Like today, this afternoon, um, after work before you guys came around, I, I started painting a Gaunt Summoner on disc. 
and it's like going so quickly because it's just nice. he's riding this flesh disc which is horrible actually it's the grimmest disc <laughs> I'm now a connoisseur of AOS's grimmest discs and it is the grossest one partly because it's reaching up and holding him by his ass up through his skirt up his skirt it's, it's yeah. he's a spicy. yeah it's a spicy one um yeah, like before, um, we talk about some of the new book themes in general. But Tom, how's your hobby month gone? Uh, I, no, I, all I've done is spill a pot of contrast on the table. Cool. Which I did earlier today. Uh, poo brown. <laughs> poo brown. I didn't know that was a colour. I can't remember what it's called. It's some fancy wild name, wood. But it looks Sigor like Sigor Brown. An accident has happened. <laughs> <laughs> it might be Sigor. I think that's the fate of all painting desks. I think so. Yeah, even yeah. with the best of intentions, it did get on the carpet. That's the main thing. Um, I assembled some Sakarian <laughs> rust stalkers, uh, that was fun. And I've undercoated um, the rest of the unit of uh, Vanguard, Skitaro Vanguard. Uh, so I'm going to be John blanching up the cloaks this weekend. That's going to be my fun project. Um, though it's kind of like a stage where I started doing a couple of them earlier, and then it was like total shit until mm. the model's basically done. Mm. Um, because after sort of undercoat a lot of the metal black before going over with silver and bronze and stuff like that. So then they look nothing like they're going to be when they're finished. And I'm not going to know until the very last sort of coat of paint goes on whether they're going to look any good or not. Um, but basically, like, I'm resigned to the fact that if it's no good, I'll spend £15 to get another box, it's fine. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just <bad. laughs> That's the, the right approach to the hobby, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. That's, the, that's what Games Workshop want to hear. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Um, I've, I've definitely found that moving on to using contrast for everything, or using contrast as a base for everything, mm-hmm. it does look crap until it's not crap mm. and and like it's interesting like the sort of span of experiences because like you're kind of getting them ready for the table thing I understand the slight malaise of like mm. I've achieved this but at what cost sort of <laughs> thing yeah. yeah like like yeah an extremely like Nagash response to painting an army mm. <laughs> like oh it's done now you've disappointed me uh, <laughs> tiny men the worst part is the little flecks of white you get yeah from the undercoat when you miss when you're with your one thick coat right mm. which is why you have to which is why they like contrast any contrast painted model benefits amazingly from like the second pass right mm. and some things it doesn't something which is either a second pass with the same color to like add some depth or something or like extra highlights and things I think my main realization particularly doing this latest batch of characterites is like some things are just fine like particularly like the human skin tones mm. They're basically done on right. my first coat. Mm. They you can you can do like fancier things with the with a highlight on them, but like highlighting skin is hard. Yeah. And the mm. payoff is not quite worth it. Mm. Whereas like if you highlight cloth, like particularly with like a, a brighter highlight than you think you would go for, like almost like skip the colour you think is the logical highlight colour right, and go right. to the next brightest one. Mm. So it looks amazing. It's the best cloth you've ever painted. <laughs> amazing. Because it it loves a wink, which I think we said before. Yeah. Um but I found that doing the uh, Fate Master, which if I didn't have all of the bits, would have been the most expensive kit batch in the history <laughs> of the kit batches, because it is a Kyrakakalite shield, a uh, Zangor weapon, a Cypher Lord mirror blade body, Ooh. a Thousand Suns Exalted Sorcerer disc, and a Varangard head. Blimey. <laughs> Which is, like, luckily, those are all kits that I have for different projects, and they've mm. all got spare bits that can be kind of traded across. 
But I just realized looking at it, like if I, someone, someone on Instagram asked me, like, what are the bits? I was like, well, <laughs> here's this 200 pound <laughs> single 120 point hero you can build if you like. But yeah, but that was interesting because like I did all these bends on the skin and things. And then I was like, well, I'm going to have to spend another hour highlighting this. And mm. I realized, mm, I don't. don't <laughs> You're done. How have you been approaching um, the varnishing aspect then? Because that was the one oh, thing yeah. that I knew I'd have to do, but I wasn't quite prepared for painting 120 rounds and then doing it again but with a sort of milky terrifying experience of, I just completely <laughs> fuck this army up the milky terrifying experience is that of, Matt Varnish then? yeah Matt Varnish, Storm yeah, Shield, yeah. Storm Shield. Um, so I don't use Storm Shield I use Munitarum Spray Munitarum mm-hmm. Varnish Spray yeah. which works okay you have to you have to make sure it's warm and you shake the shit out of it or it can be a little bit cloudy Yeah, mm. um, I haven't found it too bad one thing I realized recently, though, is the you do need to varnish if you're doing contrast and that's it. So you yeah. did need to do them for the rats. But if you're painting over contrast, particularly if you're washing over contrast, I found that actually often you don't then need to. Okay. So like, because often I'm doing like, like a glaze or something over contrast, like Gillum and Blue or um, Nolan Oil or something. Mm. And I've, I like, I, I, I literally tested it with some, some acolytes that I hadn't varnished, I'm just knocking them around. Like if yeah. they get chipped, I'll just repaint it quickly. And they're fine. Yeah. Like, right. so I think if you're going to do more work on it, mm. I think it depends on the model. It depends what mm-hmm. the contract, con- the contact points are likely to be and what you pick it up from. And like, for example, if you pick the model up from like using like the weapon and the shield and both of those things are going to get an extra coat of like lead belcher or something right. after you've done contrast, mm-hmm. yeah. then you don't need to varnish it because you're probably only ever going to be touching those parts of it. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's only if you have that it's almost like a choice at that point it's like you can varnish or you can do more work on the model mm-hmm. like okay. some Agrax Earth Shade yeah, or something yeah because that must have been a bit of a nightmare right to glob it was I sort of started off doing it with a brush I didn't mind knackering and then I went and got the biggest makeup brush I could and just globbed it <laughs> on and Storm Shield's a little terrifying because it looks very shiny when you put it on the model right but it does it dries as matte as it ever looked. In fact, more matte than the finish mm-hmm. on a usual GW paint. Right. So actually, yeah, it worked brilliantly in the end. But yeah, there was a moment of oh, staring at a, <laughs> staring at a screaming bell, thinking, "Oh my god, <laughs> you're very shiny." <laughs> god, there's there's some real low hanging fruit here that I'm just not going to reach for. <laughs> the um the um. Yeah, I found that it's useful for actually knocking back the shine because, like, I um, for, I've I've, start, I've kept doing it varnishing on my slaves to darkness because I tend to do their capes with black templar followed by like a fifty fifty mix of basilicanum grey and contrast medium, which for some reason is super glossy. Like it just comes out real mm-hmm. shiny, and the varnish is nice for knocking that back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes you can just Imagine they're wearing PVC capes, and that's your mark of Sanesh, and you don't. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a law work around. Yeah, there is. Something I've been trying to do with the saves, actually, is, is paint the rules onto the model. So anything that has a 5-up invulnerable save, which is like a standard thing across the army, but in different ways, yeah. has like glassy black armor on uh, some okay. under the shield or you haven't just armor. painted a five plus or no what I mean is like trying to represent it so anything that has exploding wounds on a six which is a couple of things mm-hmm. has a weapon with like, a particular effect on it yeah, I'm just trying to do that like that's, that's, that's probably cool. not going to be a thing until the, the army's actually done in terms of usefulness but I quite like the idea of being able to look at the army and go yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's where my invulnerable saves are because yeah. they, ha- they are holding the invulnerable save thing yeah. that is a useful thing to do though because um, 
one of the things I do when I was painting the scaling. So I've got 60 clan rats, but it's two, three units of 20. Yeah. Is I just went, these 20 have yellow uh, tunics, these ones have blue, and these ones have green. And it is so handy yeah. for being able to look at a table and go, those are the, you know, those are the blues, those are the greens, those mm. are the yellows, and picking them all out on the table. Yeah. Especially when you are, um, not that obviously I would ever do this, but stringing out huge lines of rats right across the table <laughs> in the gamiest possible way. <laughs> I, um, I have done this, I, I tend to do this with, like, you change one, like I try to do colour variation within units anyway, mm. but like from my Karakakalites, I just planned it so that I was doing three different skirt colours, <laughs> and in the box of 20, I did 10 of one, 5 of one, 5 of one, so mm. that now that I'm splitting this unit to 10... There's just the green, the green kilt guys, <laughs> and the purple and blue kilt gang, um, which is how they divide themselves up, I imagine. But if I ever get another box, I'll expand them into like another ten green ones, do a twenty of them, and then another five of each. And you can plan this stuff. And if you love planning things, I can recommend project management as a job, <laughs> but also approaching like yeah. Yeah. it's good to get practicing. It is the hobby time. Yeah, exactly. Everything's work, hobbies. Mm. Um, so all of that rat painting. Yes. All of it was for a particular end. Yes. And that end has now happened, which is Brotherhood, which is in Firestorming Cardiff, which is where Minnie's Live was. Yes. A while ago. And also, I believe, Blackout, which you went to a couple of years ago. Yeah. And you've been to a Blackout. Yes. Didn't we place exactly the same? We, we placed exactly <laughs> the same. Yeah. <laughs> Got to uh, keep the uh, role models... Uh, Lower third of the table. Exactly. Yeah. Always place the same. Yeah, so maybe to skip to the end of your uh, your Brotherhood report, where did you place? Was it lower third of the table? Yes, definitely <laughs> definitely in the lower third. So uh, we did indeed. Uh, we didn't come last. So that was sort of my secret goal for the weekend. <laughs> didn't let anyone... Your hidden agenda. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I sort of didn't want to come last. That would be quite nice. Um, and we achieved that. But uh, definitely... So what was it like? Because I think most people won't have done either a mini competitive event or even a team event, mm. and you were coaching, which is must be a what? Can you tell me what coaching involves? <laughs> so it was. Um, Shall I like explain the format? Yeah, of the event? yeah, yeah. Because it's quite it. yeah. unusual. Um, so it follows what has become like a traditional format for Team Warhammer, um, which sort of evolved out of. The European team championships that have been going on for years and years. Um, so Brotherhood was six people on the team, mm-hmm. um, but not six people all playing on the same table, because that would be impossible. Um, right. So it's you have six players, and they each bring their own 2,000-point match play army, and you are matched up against another team, and then there's a process by which you decide... Who plays who on each team? And the process is basically playing Warhammer Yu-Gi-Oh! Right. Um, (laughs) So you have your little cards with your team members on, and it's really complicated to explain how it works, but it's really easy to do. Right. Um, So I can go into it. Yeah, maybe give an example of how it plays out. Give an example. So um, you would put... So you put... Two cards, where you put one card down and your opponent puts one card down. And that's sort of your... Best way to think of it is like attackers and defenders. So you put your card down, they put their card down, it's face down. Mm. Then you show them to each other and you will choose then two cards from your hand to put against the one that they've put down. 
Right. And uh, then from the two that you've put down, they will pick one of them, and that creates the matchup. And do they pick it sight unseen or having seen it? Having seen it. Right. So they will have uh, the one... They know what there's, their one's going to be, and then they pick one of the ones you give them for that matchup. Right. So you both have some influence over what that game is going to be, but not 100% control. Right. right. And then you flip reverse that, and you keep doing that until there's only one possible game left. Right. Um, Brotherhood had the additional complication in that it also paired what scenario you were playing into that. So there were multiple levels of things to be thinking about at once. Right, as in you'd also kind of play the scenario as a card, like preference or something like that? So for each round, there were three scenarios. And so the first scenario would be played by the first two pairings. Right. And then so on and so forth. I see. So you had to think... So you knew what they were going to be and you knew what order they were going to be. So that also influenced... Because not every army likes playing every scenario. Right. So you have to think of that as well. That sounds like a lot. It, it, it was weird. So I was... I didn't say this in the group chat beforehand, but I was bricking it. <laughs> going in, um, just because it seemed like the most impossible thing to do in the world. And then we got there, and it was great. Oh, cool. It's really fun. Um, it was was like just playing a weird Warhammer card game before your... But where your friends are the cards... Yes, so (laughs) there was some, there is a weird amount of responsibility to it because you are organising someone else's fun. Mm. Um, So there were some moments, I think generally, whenever I ended up pairing uh, Discord user Rogue Michael into an Iron Jaws match, I would (laughs) then look around and sort of grimace (laughs) at him. Uh, as he put on the bravest possible face he could. <laughs> uh, oh no. <laughs> but yeah, it was an interesting one. So, um, to Chris Tomlin, who ran the event, he sort of initially set out saying, you have a team captain and the captains do the pairs. And then what he later added was a coach position, which, uh, Discord user Crunchy Nutter. <laughs> He um, he did for our team after he was sort of pushed into it by no one else <laughs> offering to help. Um, but yeah, that was it's just feels very strange having that level of responsibility for someone else's game. But it also feels very good. <laughs> but also the power is nice. The power is nice. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. So, to what extent in that do you consider like? Cause I guess you're going for favorable matchups, mm. but so do you see the lists or do you see the faction? So I presume you see the lists. Yeah, all so you submitted the lists in advance of the tournament and yeah. then they were all published. So we had a massive spreadsheet Ooh, where oh, oh, sold big spreadsheet where we went everybody went through every army and then to the best of their ability, because obviously we're all at various levels of knowing what anything in Warhammer does. Yeah. Um and we all, to the best of our ability, sort of gave a quick... We used um, green, yellow, red for good and bad matchups. Mm. Um, and we all sort of went through and said, this is what I think this is. And so that's the information then that me and Crunchy would then go and sit down and 
try and work out the most favourable possible matchups for the team. Um, and we spent a very long time doing that. And then in the end, mostly what we did was looked at what's the best scenario. As <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was the most important thing mm. really to look at because at the end of the day, I can think, yeah, I'm really good against Bone Daddies, but I don't know that. I've never played that game. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. Mm. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, right? Because it's sort of theory craft can be such a trap, mm. like such a trap. Because you, you know, mm. you know, and it's like the actual game itself. It doesn't matter how much damage you can hypothetically do. Yeah. What matters is how many dice did you roll, and did you remember to move close enough to the objective? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's. Did you? Uh, so I don't know how you want to break down the sure. experience beyond that, but like, uh, how did your own games go? My games, they went pretty well. So in the end, this has ended up being my best placing at a tournament. <laughs> it's probably a combination of, one, I could match myself into who I wanted. Yeah, I was going to ask, yeah. <laughs> like, what role did that play? There was an element of that at play, play obviously. Yeah. <laughs> spot, uh, the, spot the Skaven captain. Yeah. <laughs> and the other part of it is uh, I took definitely the gamiest list of anyone right. in team role models as in the the most sort of fun ruining oh yeah yeah oh absolutely yeah, yeah. there were some people who did not enjoy the experience <laughs> of storm fiends um yes yeah, so they they went really well and played against some stuff that i wasn't expecting mm. um i mean i can just run through some yeah, fun highlights yeah. if you want um so let's go for it um so I played against uh, Stormcast Eternal's army. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, with a unit of 20 Judicators. Why? 20 <laughs> Judicators. Make me sad. <laughs> and one, one big unit as well. One big unit of 20 Judicators and four Ballistas. Um, so what he... Tom's done a face. Tom's done a face. Why would you do that? Uh, so there's a, there's a Stormcast Eternal sub-faction that lets you pay a command point to shoot one unit in your army. So I to shoot with it, rather than just like to shoot, shoot it, yeah. in the back of the shoot head. <laughs> so it gets worse by the second. So, so he gets to shoot the judicators twice. So the hero phase and then judicators. Yes. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. But he only gets once a game. No, every turn. Oh, that's quite good. <laughs> Potentially. Yeah. So that's that was his gimmick. Okay. Um, but then uh, storm fiends do what storm fiends do, which is shoot better than the entire stormcast eternals army there's loads of so rent in the storm fiend as well like it's, it's, like stormcast hate that that's like, yes. like, it's like rent three rent two damage d3 levels yeah 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 so uh 11 judicators died in his first turn oh my god um, <laughs> which was no spoilers this battle report but that's more than i killed in a game <laughs> <laughs> it's more than he put on the table to be fair that is fair that is it's fair yeah that's that's how that went. I think we, the less we talk, least also his he was playing Stormcast Eternals and his team had paired him specifically into the uh, Total Commitment battle plan. Hmm. Which, if you don't know, Total Commitment's a battle plan where every mod, every unit has to start on the board. Oh, uh, oh no! So you can't <laughs> use the Scions of the Storm. So you cannot use Scions of the Storm. So he couldn't just drop his uh, archers into a cool place. And... No, he had to deploy them on the table. Good job, uh, Captain of, <laughs> of so that he, particular team. He did not have uh, an enjoyable interactive experience, <laughs> I think. But to be fair to him, he wasn't g- going to offer anyone else an enjoyable interactive no, experience point. either. He was doing the same thing. <laughs> uh, so I didn't feel too bad. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't feel too bad. You live bad. by the bullshit, you die by the bullshit. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> round round one was really good because we were against a, a London team. Mm. Um, team Fact, I think they were called. Um, and they were bringing old book Zinch. Um, what was the change host? Ch- old change host. They were doing yeah, old that's... change host. What was your round shows? time? The round time, like, so whether the round time was three hours, so that's I should not say enough. <laughs> on the Saturday, we turned up at half eight and we left at about half eight. Right, oh, so right. it's a long day. Um, but so we uh, we paired our um, we paired uh, Discord user the Swordfish, mm. our corn player, into that, and uh, he heroically won that game. Fantastic! He, he beats nice. old. Uh, Old bullshit. Mm. Old book. It's that classic corn versus zinch matchup as well. Yes. Zinch nonsense versus axis of the face. Yes. You've got to love it. Um, so then, uh, probably our stupidest round <laughs> was... Um, so we, we lost the first round really narrowly. It was like a 10-point difference. It just came down to um, hidden agenda points. Right. Mm. So it was like they got a few more hidden agendas than us, so they won the round as like 55-65. So I was really close. They were a pretty good team. I think they finished like ninth or something. So mm. I was really happy with everyone then. That was like the best they could possibly have done. Yes. Better than I was expecting the weekend to go in the first round, so mm. I was super happy. Um, and then we got paired into them again by the Swiss. That, so, well, that um, shouldn't happen, right? It shouldn't happen. So... Over um, it's a Discord user Scops. She runs over to Chris Tomlin and says, "Oh, I think you've paired us into the wrong, the wrong team here. We've already played them." And he says, "Okay, we'll fix that for you." And he pairs us into um, the Facehammer team. <laughs> As if people who don't know, Facehammer is a podcast of people who are very good at Warhammer. Most of them were the Team England etc. Right, AOS team team. Mm-hmm. So we paired into them. Chris Tomlin then walks past our table later, and I say, "You have done us the dirtiest here." <laughs> yeah. And he gave me just the most sheepish face, and then never given it someone else, and apologised. Um, so we we went into this round sort of knowing we were going to get destroyed, uh, which is, you know, I put the bravest face on it I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we got destroyed. Uh, we got five points out of that round between everyone. <laughs> wow. Um, so I, my army lost. It was my loss for the weekend. I played against Korn. Mm. And I did uh, was it 13 wounds to Scarbrand with shooting. Mm. He's got 14 wounds. Yes. He? Oh. And, <laughs> and he gets better as he loses health. He does. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, a bad number of wounds to do to Scarbrand. Then, a good number for rats. Yes, it's a good rat number until he then does 38 mortal wounds to your unit of storm things and then tabled me. <laughs> oh, no. That's exactly the wrong number of wounds to do to Scarborough. Yeah, yes, it was uh, the perfect storm. He admitted after the game that he was not looking forward to it. He thought he was going to mm. get smashed. Yeah. And uh, so I think he had the time of his life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were both howling with laughter at the stupidity of the scenario that was unfolding. Oh man, uh, so it was good fun. I had the experience of doing exactly thirteen wounds to Scarbrand at the AOS doubles at the London GT, oh, no. Ouch. <laughs> and for it killed everything. Yeah, and then was killed by the Vampire Queen on the Coven Throne biting him. Nice, which uh, is the best death the Scarbrand thing. Yeah, was, yeah, like death gone. Yeah, I unfortunately did not get my revenge on Scarbrand there. He uh, he just sat in a corner. <laughs> Oh, well. Let the other bloodthirsters do the work for him. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that was that was a silly round. I think the nicest part of that round was that they um, they treated us seriously because mm. obviously we're nobodies, and going into Brotherhood, there was a lot of um, build up on the internet. Bounce, can Ooh, we shall we say? It can be dangerous. It's it nice. can be dangerous because obviously the AOS competitive scene is relatively small. Yeah, so it is also relatively insular, mm. and we were sort of apart from that. We did a few tweets and stuff, but um, it was nice. You know, sitting down opposite their captain, who's this ridiculously experienced international player of Team AOS, and he seemed like he was giving us the same amount of respect he would give anyone. That's nice. Yeah. Which was nice. Yeah, Not necessarily is... what you would expect in that situation. Yeah, right. Well, that's the fear a lot of people have about any... Mm. But, uh, partly about Warhammer generally, yes. I think. And then about competitive Warhammer particularly, mm. is that you're going to bring out your list that happens to be your favourite models, or the yeah. models you have painted, mm. or the army you have. And, you know, you get the kind of, like, the the sniggering from the other side of the table because yeah. it's not optimised, or yeah, yeah, you yeah. never take that weapon load out, or whatever. I think, like, the more experienced, like, the face the guys are famously experienced, and so they're, they're going to know that's all an etiquette, and mm-hmm. how to, you know, mm. make it a nice game for your yeah. opponent, until they do 38. So that's the game, isn't it? It's, it's interesting, because I've never, I've never experienced that kind of... I think I agree with you, the AOS competitive scene is insular, but in the tournaments mm. that I've done, I've never experienced the sorts of, like sneering at your list stuff no. that I worry about from well to be candid that I worry about in 40k to be honest sure and I think that's interesting because in other competitive settings specifically in, uh, in competitive video games which is where my, a lot of my experiences this came from mm. I started to believe in something called the bell end curve <laughs> which is it, which is which is the behaviour on a behaviour and skill or on a, you know have a weird bell curve relationship with each other where the worst behaviour is not the best players mm. it's players who are in the middle the new players and people who are just crap and know it mm. have fun and have a nice time and yeah. aren't, don't think too much of themselves. And players who are good and know it are mm. lovely because they're good and they know it. Yeah. Like I have this weird experience of hanging out with esports professionals who are the best in their particular field and there's so much less ego than people mm. you meet online in like high level ranked play yeah. where suddenly because because they think they're better than they are, that's where all of the sort of mm, right. point proving and, and sort of like... Um, jockeying for some kind of status by saying like mm-hmm. actually your list shit why have you done that like all of this stuff yeah. that's where that comes in yeah. and it's at the middle of the bell end curve not at either end of it but mm. I, I don't I've never found that in, in, I would just well I would describe myself accurately as a bottom third <laughs> AOS player yeah but even like having when I've won a round and accidentally been top uh, near the top tables yeah, for, yeah. for one round, I've never experienced any part of the no. yeah, yeah. the Swiss. I've never had the oh, this is the area where it gets kind of sweaty. Mm-hmm. Where I have experienced that in X Wing, for example. Okay, that's interesting. When uh, Jim and I did um, doubles, we got to the top tables briefly. Yes, at the few, like Icarus, like Icarus, <laughs> too close to <laughs> getting too close to those each lists with yeah. uh, lots of horrors in long lines. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we had a lovely game against. People on those top tables as yeah. well. Yeah. All the games we had lovely part of one. Yeah, that's nice. I hope it never. I hope it never gets that way for AOS. Mm. Obviously, we. Yeah, like, I feel like I experienced that with X Wing really pointedly. Like as that game mm-hmm. matured and the, the maybe I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the game getting bigger or me getting better at it. Yeah, but like I remember the the tournament that made me quit playing seriously mm. was the UK Nationals because I had a I did I went like it was a big Swiss. But I think I went like five and four or yeah. something like I was slightly above average over the course mm-hmm. of the weekend I took a fun list and, and I was pleased with it 
I had this weird thing where I would win one, lose one, win one, lose one for the entire mm. tournament. <laughs> and I won my first one, and I had this weird, like, hot water, cold water experience of my games being alternatingly lovely. Mm. And yeah. every game I lost was against someone who was kind of being super competitive and a bit of a dick yeah. the entire time. And every game I won was against someone lovely that I didn't want to beat. <laughs> and so it was actually a really negative experience. Because this experience was like, yeah, this game has been really rules lawyery and mm-hmm. kind of pedantic, and I've lost. Right. And then, oh, someone with a fun list, trying to have a great time, and then it's mm-hmm. like, then I have to watch them be sad. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's no good, like, for, like that kind of yeah, vibrating yeah. in the middle of the Swiss is actually can suck for, for various reasons. But yeah, yes. but anyway, I'm busy. I'm glad to say that, I'm glad to hear that that's not apparently yeah. the case yet in AOS. I think, like, uh, so. Dinez, sort of uh, another team member of ours, thought that his opponent in that round was the sort of person he's playing with. He's sort of known for having a bit of a game face, whereas he just sort of plays his game, and you're a person, and you know, opposite him. He doesn't give you a lot of interaction necessarily. Yeah, which I sort of knew that in my head going in because I've heard it on podcasts or whatever. But uh, Dinez had no idea he was going to that, and I probably should have forewarned him, really. <laughs> um, like, knowing that now, when you're in the moment, you're rushing around giving people hidden agendas and saying, saying you're on that table, you're on that table, have a drink of water. Um, <laughs> so the best thing about this round was uh, their coach was also their water boy, and he came running around and he gave them all a bottle of water. Nice. Um, no, that's good coaching. You've yeah. got to keep the, the main tip for AOS tournaments is keep hydrated. Mm. don't do what I did at LGT and drink lots of beer and then have a massive headache mm. I uh, my tip for Warhammer tournaments is do drink lots of beer but always buy one for your opponent as well if they want one uh, um, nice. and that, that is like that's a good statement of intent yeah. particularly if you're me at LGT and you are in the process of setting up a change host it's a good way to <laughs> it's a good way to rebalance the social dynamic <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm congolining 40 blue horrors here's a beer <laughs> it cost me six pounds I've definitely had <laughs> games of Age of Sigma where the other person, each each of our movement phases was the time the other person got to go to the toilet. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean that that was a that round was what we expected. Uh, we got five points out of it, uh, mostly through um, poor Rogue Michael's terrible, terrible Stormcast army. Uh, <laughs> Facing yes. off against Nagash again oh, um, no. after his Minnie's monthly weekend experience of facing off against Nagash. Whose fault was it then? Mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, technically yours. Technically it was mine, yeah. That's true. No, but because um, I remember this really, really, because we had the kind of coach or the, the, the setting up people's fun experience yes. for that, yeah. that, that massive game. And I remember being like having that conversation of like, who's okay with going up against Nagash? <laughs> Weary hand raise. <laughs> like, <laughs> But yeah, so he had that experience again, um, and he had an in- incredible round where he knew he'd lost the scenario mathematically almost immediately, <laughs> um, and entered this psychological space where he was just playing for hidden agendas, which I have to say, if you haven't played Age of Sigma with hidden agendas, it's really good. All right. uh, adds quite a lot, especially for if you sort of know you've lost, it gives you something to play for. Um, so he entered this ridiculous dance with six evocators on Dracolines mm. on the, the absolute back board edge, sat cowering in a corner, surrounded by ghosts desperately trying to kill them. And his whole game was just rolling saves for these evocators <laughs> and praying they didn't fail a battle shock test. 
uh, whilst the guy opposite him was like desperately trying to kill them with as many ghosts as he could get in. Um, which is a very silly dance that they got into that uh, took basically the whole round. <laughs> Who? The Evocators managed to do it. They yeah, managed yeah, to survive. Yeah, yeah. So he scraped his two points out of that round, <laughs> uh, which is nice. Is which good. is most of the points anyone got on our team. For that <laughs> <round>. So, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's doing your work. Um, good job, cats. Good job, yes. If um, they had human faces, maybe they'd be competitive. <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad. Um, so then, it's interesting what you said about the, the bell end curve. <laughs> uh, as we go Do into the next round Ooh. Was, oh, <laughs> a spicy take I think so, I think this was them yeah, so this was a weird round, so we played against um, Legio 9 who I think everyone had a really good time against mm. um, apart from their coach who sort of gave us some odd experiences so we had um, Dinners again had finished his game and um, then the their coach came over and started rules questioning the game that was already finished and trying to argue that he had, in fact, not won the game, but his player had won the game due to his reading of the rules, which is, <laughs> one, not how coaching is supposed to work at Brotherhood, and two, just like a really it's a very diff- move. It's a difficult social situation to yeah. put someone else in, yeah, right? Because you can't really legislate a game that's finished. Because presumably their player had... Accepted the he, result. Yeah, so the, the the guy he didn't as a played against was perfectly happy with that's how the rule was. So that was a very it was a very awkward situation. But um, Dennis did successfully argue that shut up and go away. <laughs> <laughs> Strong argument. Um, but this was this was a fun one for me because uh, I got to play against Hello Heart. Mm. The famous Cities of Sigmar stupid allegiance. The wizard town. The wizard oh, town. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's the one that can get plus eight billion to cast, casts every single spell. Um, so that's a fun game. Um, terrible scenario for him. Long deployment. <laughs> lots of shooting on your side. Yeah, lots of shooting on my side. So, yeah, that's how that went. Shot basically everything he had off, and he put a purple sun into the entirety of like I had this castle of storm fiends and rats and stuff, and he drops a purple sun in the middle of it and rolls not a single six. Uh, man of my own. <laughs> You've got to love it. <laughs> Lots of wizards can't roll a six. <laughs> um, so that was that. That's not particularly interesting. That, that round was just a weird one, um, and we perfectly drew it. Oh, wow. It was a perfect 60-60 draw hmm. on each side. So that was quite nice. Because uh, mm. that was a nice one. Because we'd sort of... We'd gone up relatively... We sort of stayed middling from our first round drawish loss. Then we got smashed. Yeah. So then with a draw again, we're staying quite low, which is a nice level to be at, like mm. you said, because you're with all the nice yeah. people. Um, so then we had our first and only round win after that round <laughs> four round four we won a round it was very nice got to play against Gloomspike Gits I've never played what against flavor before flavour of Gits flavour of Gits is 60 stabbers mm. 60 stabbers uh, Scragrot their little special character. The Loon King. The Loon King. He's tiny. Yeah, he's a goblin. He's a tiny little <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting. I was yeah. But he's a little goblin, um, which is nice. And he had the big mangler squig, the cool one. Oh, yeah, that's and great. And the squig knights. Cool. The ones cool. with the lancers and stuff. So they're really... What did you do to them? I shot them storm things. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this was this was a great one because um, this is the one where the Help It Abomination did something. Oh. Um, so the Help It Abomination has a rule where whereby instead of using the normal attack sequence for one of its attacks, you roll a dice for every model within three inches, and uh, it degrades. But on a it, when it's taken no damage, it's on a two plus with a re-roll. You do a mortal wound. Right. Yeah. So we went into 60 stabbers, <laughs> and he killed 55 stabbers. Because <laughs> they're on tiny, tiny bases they're as well. tiny, right? tiny <laughs> bases. That is what? That three-inch belt was massive. Yeah. It went absolutely... That was brilliant. I love that. That was so much fun. Um, <laughs> In your mind's eye, what did it do to them? Like, to kill 55? Like, do you know when, you know when like... Uh, a dog sees like a piece of fox poo it really wants to roll in and, and they like roll. run and jump and do that barrel roll <laughs> like that's what I'm imagining like the sort yeah. of like just rolling around the rolling back again yeah. <laughs> having a nice time yeah, yeah. oh what a horrible way to die yeah it was a beautiful moment really that was one of my favourite moments and the, uh, when I sort of went oh Scragrot how tough is he and my parents sort of put the bravest face on he possibly could and said oh he's tougher than you think uh, and uh, yeah no he's not that tough um, <laughs> he dies to storm fiends. Um, that was fun, and yeah, so that round we actually won, which was great. Big thumbs up to everyone. Ooh. Go team role models. Then round five, I'll be really quick because I know this is taking forever. No, no, it's good. Um, yes. Was brilliant rounds because I got to play Archeon, Ooh. the the Grand Marshal of the End Times, mm. the whatever his very many titles Gra- are. Grand Marshal of the Apocalypse, oh, Lord sorry. of the End Times. Sorry. You know. um, <laughs> So this is an interesting one. He was using the new Archeon Warsaw. Exalted role. High Marshal? Exalted Grand Marshal? He's something. He's a good big boy. He's a large... He's a large boy. He is I have not boy. seen that model before. It's, it is a big one. It's very big one. So he was running them in corn. Uh, mm, which makes sense. Was it Slaves to Darkness but predominantly corn? No, it was no, corn. It was corn, corn. corn. So he had um, a whippy man. Yeah, um, Blood Sudoku. Yeah, he had the um, Portal of Skulls. Blood Secretor. Yes. And he had the Bloodthirster of. Big Axe. Insensate Rage. The one that lets you pile in six. Uh, mm-hmm. Big Axe one. Yeah. Insensate Rage. Yes. Wrath of Corn is Whip. Yeah, it's Insensate Rage. So the gimmick for his army was he gives Archeon a two plus re rolling save mm-hmm. via the prayer. Yep. He then uh, moves Archeon up. He auto-runs him six with a command point. Mm-hmm. And then he, if he finishes within six inches of one of your units, the Bloodthirster lets him pile in without needing to charge. Right. Which gets around fight first. Which right, gets yeah. around fight first. It gets around having to roll dice to get in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Which is nice. So his, his plan... Mm. So I basically covered the entire length of the board in clan rats mm. and then hid everything behind that uh, in a little castle all of my deployments are long screens of clan rats tiny castle mm. um, and he puts Archeon in and his plan is to he has to kill all of the clan rats and if he does that he has enough blood tithe to in my hero phase run Archeon away <laughs> so the plan is kill my screen run away again out of range of my army and then run back in again on his go so to clarify how that works people who don't know how corn works that's because you get a blood tithe point every time a unit dies yes and one of the corn things you can spend one of the things you can spend blood tithe on is a move in your hero phase yes so that would be what allows which you can run doing yeah. because it's a move so you mm. yeah so that would yes like, and he's a flying big 
big boy. So he moves very fast. He is he's a fast boy. So that was his plan. Yeah. Uh, so he has to kill sixty clone rats with you know Archeon, high, grand, exalted marshal of the, the apocalypse. Yeah, he kills fifty-seven clone rats. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's brilliant. And and then he fell over. Um, <laughs> He again the Helpit Abomination did ten damage to Archeon. <laughs> okay, wow, a big happened. sack of rats. But it doesn't do mortals, does it? It did so because he doesn't. He, he bounces mortals really easily, but he doesn't bounce regular damage quite as easily. Yeah, so it, it does do the mortal thing, but he's only one model, so it's yeah. only one mortal wound. But what it does have bizarrely on its teeth attacks is rend three. Mm. Nice. Um, so his two up rerolling is not quite as good there. Yeah, right. So he went down to that, and then uh, he had two wounds left. I piled 40 Plague Monks into him. They rolled... Uh, I can't remember. It's like 90 dice, I think. I just about got them in my hands. He was helping me. Yeah. I was holding my hands out, and he was putting dice in them. <laughs> <laughs> and I rolled my ridiculous number of Plague Monk attacks, um, which hit on twos. They wound on threes. And then uh, he, after his two up re-rolling one save... Failed to. Yeah. <laughs> 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 went down to Plague Monks and it was kind of all... That's all she wrote at that point. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, his, his gimmick's kind of kind of dead from there. Mm. So that was, a, that was a sad time for Archeon. But, um, that one's not going in the, in the annals of the Vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Dragged down by rats. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, but that was good. I think that was a good round for our team because the people were playing against... Um, I don't know if you know, like, Mitzi and Jimbo, those uh, people. I've been on tables near them at games. And yes. Good you rep. Yeah. know the very, from LGT, the very, very pretty Stormcast army. Yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah. So um, people got to play against some very, very pretty looking armies, which yeah. is how you want to end the tournament, yeah, really. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's the, the raw guys, right, which just went on sale. Yes. The big yeah, 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 yeah. Year, so, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that was, that was good. Yeah. It was a awesome. good time for everyone. Um, was it a five-round event, or was it? It was a five-round event, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. When we came 18th. Nice. Oh, 22. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice to end on a win. Yeah. It's good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's good fun. So, awesome. yeah. Would you do it again? I would do it again in a heartbeat. I think most, I think the team would do it again as well. Yeah. I think, um. Well, LGT next year is a team event, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think there is already a role models team mm-hmm. that's gotten together to, uh, to go. Is it four? It's four for LGT. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be interested in maybe trying to. Try and go to LGT again this year now that it's teams again. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, very similar to doubles yeah. that we did before. I think it's a really good intro event style yeah. because whilst Brotherhood ended up being billed as the most competitive AOS event that's ever happened that we just sort of stumbled into. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, and I think half the team... It was their first ever event of wargaming, and for like Scops, it was her first ever AOS tournament. Yeah, um, like proper one. Uh, despite that, like everyone had a good time. Like people won games apart from Rogue Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, there's a I think a level of camaraderie to it. That yeah, is really good because um, having gone to Blackout last year on my own. It's, you know, everyone's nice and people, like, hang out with you and treat you nicely, but they're still strangers. And then no one's really invested in you as a 
person or the games <laughs> that you've had. Right. Um, and it is... No one wants to hear your dice stories. No one wants to hear my dice stories, Chris. And it's, <laughs> it's just really nice to, you know, to have a big team house to go back to at the end of the day and mm. to eat a big, disgusting takeaway. And yeah. everyone commiserate over their horrible, horrible beans that they got. <laughs> yeah, it's nice, because I used to go to X-Wing Things as part of, like, a, the Bristol community, but also, mm-hmm. like, specifically Bristol Vanguard, which is, like, the club. And it wouldn't be a team event, but there is something yeah. about being there with, like, yeah. your own gang, basically. Yeah. And you, nice. you can't, in that, sorry, you can't get matched against each other, which is a specific thing, but, like, mm. you know, it's a nice feeling, because there are, you know, the, 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 end, the endless sort of small anxieties of wargaming events, mm-hmm. like, my round ended early. What do I do now? Having someone else's table to, like, wander over and... It's really helpful. You know, like, give them model day. support or yeah. say hello or whatever. Or, in the case of my friend Matt of Hipster Hammer at LGT, literally walk past my table, give me two new bags of dice and <laughs> keep moving. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had played doubles with me the day before. And, yeah. yeah. Did they work? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's... um. Because it's a format that Games Workshop are doing more and more themselves. So I know last yeah. year they did two Warhammer World team events. So it is a format that I would encourage people to do, especially if they're like dipping a toe in, mm. to see if they would enjoy the experience. Yeah. So I think that's a lot, a lot of people were treating it as, as a way to go like, I don't actually know if I'll enjoy playing competitive Warhammer. Um, right. Because, you know, there is a reasonable level of anxiety to, am I just going to have a bad time with horrible people. <laughs> yeah. Like, worst case scenario. Let's go have a bad time like, with yeah. horrible people. Am I, am I going to lose five boring games of Warhammer mm. um, against people who aren't interested in me? I just know you can lose three exciting games of Warhammer. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, yeah, people generally, I think, had a really good time. We were the only team to have a woman at the whole event with 120 players, Man, which what? is not great. Yeah. Um, I, I do wonder how that... Uh, I don't... Yeah. yeah. Hobby-wide issue, but I do wonder how events can change to fix that. It seems like a good idea, though. Cause yeah. Just, just, not, I mean, not just for yeah. gender balance, just for balance in general. Because, mm-hmm. like, I don't think... Like, nobody treated Scots any differently. Or, like, I don't think she had a bad experience for mm. being a woman at the event, but it was just very noticeable mm. that she was the only person for Yeah. Um, yeah, right. And it's something that, yeah, I don't know how you fix that without it being, like, an active decision by the community as a, but I don't know how you do. And mm. it's, I mean, it's, I think it, I mean, that's a, it's a big subject and it, but it seeds into everything that could possibly be done to make the hobby more appealing, to mm. open things up to, you know, there's, yeah, there's a lot of things that could, that could be done there, but mm. nonetheless, yeah, I think more accessible event formats is certainly a, a oh, thing. Yeah. And also just simply trying to keep the community as open and as uncliquey as it can be, I suppose. Yes. And that's, it is definitely very cliquey. Even even when you're there, like, you know, um, one thing that people on our team who didn't really know, you know, the in-crowds of tournaments because they didn't listen to podcasts or whatever, they found it weird that people were on other teams were talking to each other by like, their first names in, like, a really casual way mm. um, because, they, you know, they do all know each other and they are all mates. Yeah. It, it felt, uh, you know, some people did feel like an outsider being in there in the moment. Yeah, I think the, the yeah that that can be an experience of these events that you have to watch 
you do watch other people's friendships kind of playing out, yes. right? Like, and that's fine, you know, kind of there. And mm-hmm. it can be hard to graduate to that yeah, yeah. point. And it's, it takes, a, I think, a, a rare kind of person to actively kind of invite other people into those circles. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's very important. It's something the community can be proactive at doing. Yeah. Is saying, like, actually inviting other people into the conversations that are happening at tables mm-hmm. um, rather than turning to talk to your mate who's just walked past and kind of shutting the other player out. <laughs> right. Like, there's so much to this. Like, because mm. I always, you always have to also assess, like, what is the level of social comfort with the person that I'm playing against? Because some people, you know, like I said earlier, the thing about, you know, buy your opponent a beer if they want one. Yeah. Right? Like, showing up and giving them a beer is not a good idea because not everyone drinks and etc. <laughs> well, you know, it's simple, but it's, you know. Yeah. But also, people have different levels of how much they want to get out of a game socially and yeah. different levels of comfort and and so on. Um, you know, it's it's a negotiation, and you know, hobbies and and why I'm specifically play those two people with all sorts of different levels of of comfort and anxiety when it comes to social situations. Mm. This is just a thing, and um, but I think you have to be. I think the only rule is you have to be proactive in trying to find that right balance rather than yeah. just um, making either making too many assumptions or doing nothing, which I think is always kind of a missed opportunity. Yes. I think they're doing nothing as the the most common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe it isn't always a missed opportunity. And obviously, if you have your own anxieties about going into a scenario yeah, like this, there's no reason to do anything other than furnish your own comfort and be a decent human being. Um, but it's yeah, it is a tricky. It can be a, a a tricky thing to to negotiate, which you're not really expecting when you're also trying to remember all of the nonsense rules <laughs> for your plastic yeah, wizards. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there, but it's still fun. Yeah, we'll get you. We'll get you back to one time. I'll get one eventually. <laughs> Each free weekend. Yeah. Something you've reminded me of, yes, Matt, is the fact that uh, Pip, my partner, very kindly got me Archeon for Christmas. Ooh. So uh, for you to mention this is a hobby project, and you're right, that is a massive model. And I'm very glad that something swept along and distracted me from this challenge of trying to put together. <laughs> I've kind of committed myself to, it's going to happen, I'm going to do Archeon, I'm going to do Never Chosen Army, because I think a centerpiece model like that needs to be done. Uh, not left in a shame pile, but done. But I'm also going to do it slowly. So my plan is by the end of January, I'm going to have built the base. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, and that's not to say I will have gotten the plastic circle out of the box. <laughs> like I've mostly built Dorgar now, but mm. I'm going to um, do quite a, elaborate scenic base for him and things like that that I haven't done before and so immediately I was distracted by the fact that the Zinch book has come along and I did want to talk about it a little bit because I thought it was interesting partly because we, we, we played a game with it and it'd be interesting, given that this is the classic matchup for, for you and me Tom oh, like yes. it's sort of it's been interesting to watch how that changes but now that I've had a couple of weeks with this book and list building and reading the internet which can be a mixed blessing at times I think one one phenomenon which has been interesting to watch it resolve is like how the theory craft shakes out mm. and how much kind of I think it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting process to watch how it changed a lot and I think Siege has actually been changed quite a bit. Um, you know, we can talk about some of this when we get into the battle report Thunder. stuff. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Hmm. Um, but one thing I've been, it's been really nice about it is I think as with everything, there are probably more ways to play particular armies than are immediately noticeable. And while you necessarily gravitate towards like the best sub-allegiances and things, I think almost the strength of a book nowadays is what feels mandatory versus what is only theoretically mandatory while people are still panicking. Mm-hmm. And an example of this not going great is something like 
uh, Osiarch Bone Reapers and oh, yeah. Petrifex Elite because it's a subfaction that is simply the best one. Yeah. And there's not really much arguing that from a mathematical point of view. Oh, no. There are many other things to Warhammer, and you can argue that they're not the best one from a paint scheme point no, of view. They're not the prettiest. They're not the prettiest. They're probably like there are other there are cool rules that would be fun, like the crematoriums yeah. that explodes blowing skeletons that blow up when they die. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Like there's lots of cool things in there. But crucially, there's probably a best one in there, and that's a bit of a shame. There's uh, and I'm not a very competitive player, but it's interesting, like, I think I felt very lucky with both the Slaves of Darkness book and Zinch in that I don't f- feel like there's any... Th- I, I mean, I think there are going to be obviously super strong optimized Zinch lists, but it feels like there's lots of different room to play interesting kind of combos because they're both such uh, toolbox um, systems now. And one of the ways they've achieved this for Zinch, which I thought was kind of interesting, is, like, adding more kind of weird little mechanics to the sides, but reducing the overall amount of, like, mad variance that we were talking about earlier. Mm. Like, rules that are just sort of, like, you know, throw a dice in the air. <laughs> if it doesn't come back down, you've won the game. Like, that kind of old AOS stuff. Yeah. And just turning it into, like, systems that interact in interesting ways. And so, um, I'm genuinely looking forward to, like, playing through all of the, the sub-factions in that book and um, building armies around them. And then recently, I realized that there's a uh, a list I've been working on recently that I think you've been privy to some of the maths on this, <laughs> but I've realised if you ignore all the subfactions in Zeech specifically, like this, I would love to pick the brains of the people who design the books when they come out because obviously some things slip under the radar really heavily. Yeah. But sometimes you can see I think where things have been deliberately omitted, and so they have all these different subfactions for Zeech now, six of them, uh, but none of them really interact with the Destiny dice pool, which is like the Zeech allegiance ability. Yeah. Uh, but there are a bunch of artifacts and traits and things elsewhere in the book that you can't take if you're taking one of the sub-factions that do mess with it. And I realized recently that it is possible to turn playing Zinch into dicey dungeons, <laughs> you know, which is a game by Terry Kavanagh, video game by Terry Kavanagh, about um, basically like going through a dungeon, rolling dice for different effects, but also figuring out how to build little engines that allow you to re-roll in certain ways or change this result into that result, turn that result into this result, mm. to set up like absurd combos that win you fights. And I've realized that it's possible to do this with Zinch now in a really silly way that I feel like people are sleeping on completely. And I really... Um, so the battle report people are about to hear on this episode doesn't involve this, which is kind of... But it shows kind of how I think how the faction plays sort of out of the book. Right. But it's been really fun subsequently mm. to kind of dig into mad things I hadn't considered. Like... Mm you can get abilities that allow you to potentially re-roll a Destiny dice after you've spent it, mm. but only for one hero versus ability. Right. And if you do that, suddenly things like, I'm just going to deliberately fail a spell, becomes like a way of taking a bunch of your twos from the Destiny pool mm. and just rolling them back in yeah, as something yeah. else. And like, I don't care about this, so I'm just going to, like, it's my destiny to run two inches further. <laughs> <laughs> like, and re-roll things back in. So, long story short, I figured out a way to fairly reliably create a Demon Prince nuclear missile because <laughs> my whole thing is I'm basically determined to make fighting Zinch a thing it's definitely not no. but I am going to probably take fighting Zinch to, I am now going to um, an event in London in a couple of weeks just a one day event mm-hmm. at uh, the Badman Cafe and I'm taking Punch Zinch to this I, I, I really want to know how this goes because <laughs> ah, on paper it's so good <laughs> because on paper it's a demon prince that which is the new Slaves of Darkness updated Demon Prince, mm-hmm. but can be in a Zinch army because yeah. it's a Demon Prince, um, who on a six to hit does D6 plus two mortal wounds. Mm. There's four attacks 
and the whole army is built to generate sixes on destiny dice for him. Wow. So he can, and he always fights first. So you just put him for hero, mm. then he does four d six plus eight mortal wounds to whatever that is. Yeah, that's mm. plenty. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough. It's enough, and you you can potentially, if you build the list, probably get that to five d six plus ten. Right. Um, which is like I love this because it's so stupid, and because it's a way to take Zinch, the big nerd that doesn't punch people, mm. and create. Basically, baby Scarbrand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at that point, is he even baby Scarbrand? I don't know. I think he's actually... Well, he's smaller than Scarbrand. But this is... The only experience I want is to get matched into Scarbrand. Mm. Because I'm tired of being bullied by that guy. Mm. <laughs> he's a jerk. <laughs> and I want to fight him with a fight's first Zinch Demon Prince that inexplicably does, like, 30 mortal wounds to him. Because Scarbrand can't save that. No. Nope. Mm. like... Anyway, that's my dream, but we should actually listen to a battle report from the past <laughs> detailing what happens when my dreams meet reality. <laughs> Tom, should we talk about a battle that we've played? A big battle. It's been a while since we've done a big battle. It's been almost a year since we've done a big battle. That's too long for big battles to not happen. <laughs> that's, I think that's the tagline for Warhammer 40,000. <laughs> In the grim darkness of the far future, it's too long for big battles to, to not, not happen. happen. This wasn't a battle in the grim darkness of the far future. This was a battle in the... The bright and beautiful mortal realms. Mm. Well, sometimes bright and beautiful, often full of misery and despair and decay, of course, <laughs> depending on where you're fighting. And we've probably signalled this in the podcast that you're listening to, but mm. we're recording this in the past. Yeah. So we should disclaim that every time we do this. We like to sort of Doctor Who our episodes and just really just kind of move around the time stream, mm. get the I'd most like, out of it. That is a... Like a romantic redefinition of editing as a concept. (laughs) That's how I like to think about (laughs) it. Like, you know, the film Doctor Who... Like, Doctor Whoing is the the heart of film, really. Yeah, absolutely. That's all it is. You know, Michael Bay famously shooting for the Doctor Who rather than (laughs) uh, for the the film itself. What am I talking about? We're talking about a game we've played, Mm. uh, which was kind of El Clasico, right? It was. It was a return to old battlegrounds. Indeed. Um, Both fictionally and... uh, Literally, as we played a game of Warhammer Age Sigma, a 1,500-point open play, open war yeah. game, uh, pitching Stormcast Eternals against Zinch Arcanites. It's the classic miniatures monthly matchup. I feel like we should try and partridge this as much as possible. We're yeah, all, of course. We're, we're at about a six at the moment. We could see how oh, far we, we can get right up. So um, there's a few reasons. Obviously, we haven't played AOS in a long time. I played a little bit recently, but... Like, it's been a while for me, just generally, let alone mm. for the pod. Um, but also, as we will have undoubtedly already spoken about on the pod, new Zinch book. So a chance to find out how it feels. And it's kind of nice to have almost like a blind trial, right? With the fact that mm. we've played this matchup so many times. Right. And I knew nothing about the new book coming in. So this is really exciting. Um, so to give some context, because I really want to really get your... Uh, how it felt, how playing against each other for you, but... We should probably give some context for the kinds of armies we're running and yes. the scenario. Mm. So the scenario we chose, um, partly, mostly because it's funny. Uh, it's one from the, I think it, I think it's a battle plan that first appeared in Malign Sorcery actually, but it was updated in the 2019 General's Handbook, which is Chained Colossus. So is this a match play scenario then? It might turn up in tournaments and things. I don't think it's a match play scenario. That's I think, just a good no, one. I think it is. I think it can be. Right. Okay. That'd be fun. Um, so the only thing that is complicated about this scenario is, well, that it requires a certain endless spell. So Chained Colossus uh, involves two armies fighting to free and control a chained purple son of Shyish named 
Moloch saw the Bale Sphere. <laughs> <laughs> very good. The bad ball. The very terrible ball. He's an awful ball. And he lives in a hole in the middle of the map. <laughs> yes. Or the middle of the board. And at four other points in quadrants around him are four control points or, ca- or objectives, basically, that can only be held or, no, sorry, can only be captured by heroes. Hmm. Uh, you can obviously retain them per AOS 2 rules after you depart. Um, Moloch's saw is not controlled like normal predatory endless spells. He can only be moved if one player controls more objectives than the other one. And that player is the one who gets to choose where he goes. Yeah. Individual objectives are worth one point each. But wherever Moloch's saw, if Moloch's saw is wholly within one player's territory at the end of the game, their opponent gets an extra three points, which is quite a lot. It's yeah. a hearty turns worth of bonus points. Potentially a game winning uh, bounty of points there. Uh, we chose this without having, we didn't pick our armies with this in mind, but it ended up, I think, uh, just on a top level feeling like a fairly good balance. Like both having picked up sort of open play armies based on what we liked. Yeah, we both had three heroes, which is important for these types of matchups where yeah. heroes are required to capture stuff. Uh, so that was a good sign. We also showed up with quite similar armies in terms of the sort of infantry to magic to behemoth makeup. Yeah, or infantry to magic to uh, elites, mm. you know, sort of elite things. Yeah, right. Um, so do you want to take me through your army? Because it's uh, a very traditional mix of things. Yeah, it was a very simple army, to be honest. So Tantras returns, uh, Lord Sedestin on Drakov, um, and he brings with him two knights and cantors who are Stormcast wizards. Uh, they also had a unit of nine uh, sequiturs, uh, and it would be 10 if I had painted enough of them, but um, nine for now. Uh, a unit of 10 uh, retributors, which I've not used for years, um, and I forgot that they're quite good. Um, and then also two units of five judicators, which are Stormcast archers, and very good in the game. <laughs> <laughs> they're just good in the game. They're just good in the game. Uh, and that was my entire with Very, very straightforward infantry, block infantry force. Um, and I... So one thing I want to do is eventually have tried all of the different Zinch sub-allegiances. But mm. I've run one that I've already run, I've now run twice, um, which is Cult of the Transient Form, which is the uh, cult where Chirocacolites can aspire to become Zangor. Uh, something that basically didn't factor in, but we'll find we'll figure that out. It's a great rule, though. I love it is rules. a great rule. And it gives us some useful artifacts and things. Um, but it was an entirely mortal army. Mm. Um Partly to run some stuff that I finished recently, but also because uh, I like it just like I think since our earliest days playing AOS with me with a heavily demon um, Zinch army, which basically means lots of magic and lots of shooting. Yeah. And me eventually discovering, getting more knowledgeable about the game and more knowledgeable what I enjoy about the game that um, the combat phase is the best phase of the game for a bunch of different reasons. So, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to build a more combat heavy force, etc. So to this point. So my army was... Uh, the Algorith Thaumaturge, Zangor Shaman, and the new Fate Master, um, who I finished painting yesterday at the time we were recording this. Yeah, lovely conversion as well. Um, and a big block of 20 Zangor, which I think is now the optimal block. I've painted 30 of them, but I don't feel bad about having painted 30 of them because it's useful to have extra Zangor for when you gain them from spells and transformations and things. Yeah, so sure. it's good to have that extra buffer. A unit of 10 Kyrak Acolytes, um, big burly men who run around and try and help. <laughs> basically <laughs> yeah. and just want to be a bird which is completely uh, reasonable hmm. and um, relatable a unit of three Zangor Enlightened on discs three Skyfires on discs so both complements of Elite Zangor hmm. and uh, a Mutalith Vortex Beast yeah that uh, thing's crazy <laughs> a lovely model yeah um, who I keep uh, uh, has mascot quality for me I think mm. more than anything else he's uh, maybe I've talked about him when we talk about what we've been painting but 
It's a tentacle monster that's also sort of like a big dog elephant sort of thing. Yeah. Um, it's a very confused animal, isn't it, really? And it's carrying a portal to the realm of chaos on its back, which is really... Its, that looks rad. ...its point. Yeah. Because it mutates things around it. Mm. Um, so, you... Um, so let's, I guess... How did we go about attempting to sway uh, Moloch's or the Bale Sphere to <laughs> our various causes? Actually, maybe as a note of, of context, is it that we we're thinking about this from a... Like, what's the narrative here? Because we haven't really got, like, a grand campaign necessarily but yeah, it has been drifted back into the same realm right yeah um and i quite but i quite like the idea because the theme for this is spell hunting and things like that that um you know that maybe your law hunters have been out in the realms for a long time tracking down these sort of wayward energies of the arcanum optima right um and now maybe you know still in the particular area of shaman that we've been fighting over for ages maybe somewhere else completely they're kind of re-encountering a new generation of this particular cult that just won't just won't stay down. Yeah, I think um, the Law Hunters in that particular region are just doomed to keep on putting down resurgent siege cults that come back in different forms every sort of century or so. And of course, the Sorgast being eternal, as, as mm. their name suggests, and coming back time and time again, they're so familiar with the threat of Zinch that they're almost like special forces that Sigmar wants to deploy against Zinchin incursions in this particular realm. So they're used to the terrain, they're used to the type of villains they face. They've uh, they've destroyed um, greater demons. They've destroyed, uh, you know, um, what they call the greater demons of Zinchin. Lords of Change. Lords of Change. Destroyed a few of those in spectacular fashion. Um, so they've proved their worth. So they've been left here to guard the realms against uh, resurgence each, and they're very good at stamping them out. They're very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, the um, yeah, and cause I think because the last game we played back in April last year was kind of about my corn forces basically trying to escape this particular area of the realm of metal, which was fully conquered by you because you won the big game at Miniatures Monthly yes. live back in 2017. I honked the big horn. No, 2018. And, uh, 2018. Honked the big horn. Uh, Star Trek. It was very close. It's an exceptional game of Warhammer. Uh, yeah. Vast in scope. Um, yeah. And that, that since has granted Sigmar control of that particular realm. Um, but, you know... You've got to keep fighting for it. Chaos is always there. Mm, and you, you've got to start, keep hitting it with a hammer, basically. That's right. Forever. That's <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Because there's no other solution. You can't, you know, reach out to those people and try and address well, their needs. No. Just hit them with a hammer. Just hit them with a big hammer. Yeah. That's still cast. Um, but in this case, yeah, Resurgence Inch fighting for a big ball mm. while Tantris threatens to take his ball and go home. Yes. <laughs> and Tantris, by the way... That's been a liability in the last few games that he's been part of. And he's been reinforced so many times now that he's sort of brain dead, but he knows what to do with Zinch armies. <laughs> I think he's good at... It's like a sort of a wind-up toy that you point at a particular villain. Maybe it's even a strength. Maybe he's so dumb now that the kind of, you know, in, like the, the machinations of Zinch, the kind of you'll go insane if you look at it element of it, just doesn't bother him anymore. No, he's been swallowed by a tarot guys twice and... <laughs> It takes a lot of dice for that to happen, but it did happen to him. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's encountered horrendous deaths, uh, facing both the siege and the undead uh, across the mortal realms. And uh, he's not quite right, but I still love him. <laughs> I still let him out of his cage occasionally just to play. So let's talk about the game we actually played. What was your kind of approach to this going in? Given that we both had three heroes and it was so central to heroes and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think the main thing that I've learned is not to put things in space at the start of the deployment phase mm. put things in space at the end so that you can see the spread of the opponent's force and see where there's kind of gaps that where you might be able to drop down um, so i put the retributors in space 
um, thinking that if the board kind of fragmented, if if it's weird because like we had a proper six by four board this time, and fifteen hundred points, like once it's actually spread across the board, there's loads of gaps everywhere. Actually, yeah. if you're playing on a proper size table, uh, the idea of dropping down or summoning becomes much more viable. Um, so I, I hope the game might fragment, and I might be able to drop them in the backfield and get them to sort of like charge into the rear of some important units and take them out. Um, so they were in space, but the secretaries basically um, were responding to how you were deploying, where yeah. you put the, the weight of your force onto your right flank, and uh, so that I put the big unit of secretaries there with um, with a hero as well, and basically it's like let's match our infantry units and see what happens on this flank. Mm. And on the other flank, it was, it was always going to be drop down shenanigans. Yeah, and trying to disrupt the force like in that way because like points wise, my force was actually evenly split because mm. I put it was the block of Zangor, the Chiracalites, and the Fate Master on my right flank, and the Vortex Beast, the other two heroes, and both units of Elite Zangor mm. on the other side. So actually, it was actually there was more points worth of stuff on the other side. Yes, it was just there was more bodies on on that. Yeah, side. so there was an infantry flank and there was an elite flank. Yeah, which is quite a cool setup to the game, and it's like, well, let's match our best units against one another and see what happens. Yeah, right. I think one thing that was interesting about this is because it was a hero capturing, um, sorry, only heroes can capture scenario. I was less worried about the retributors mm. because they couldn't sit in an objective. Yes, which meant that I didn't have to shift them mm. really. Like they then I don't like them. But they're not going to like run onto one of my backfield objectives and sit there for the rest of the game. Yeah, with like thirty wounds in the ten ten man unit. So yeah, I'm trying to think um, about how that first turn played out because obviously it feels like it's ages ago now. But... Well, I, I dropped down the retributors straight away. Yeah, which I wasn't initially planning to do until I'd seen the full deployment. Mm. Um, and then I thought realized just having a big load of retributors near your elites, nine inches away, also near the point, kind of perhaps opening an avenue for a hero to charge up there and take it, would be valuable in the long run. Mm. Um, uh, but of course, they come down. They can't charge. They have to sort of. Well, they, they can, but it's a long charge. It's, it's a, yeah, charge. right, yeah, um, right, yeah. Which I did fail um, recently. Uh, but they came down. I think just having that big threat pop down is a sort of always a psychological advantage as well as a tactical advantage. Almost like you've got to sort of think about what what you do with them. Like, yeah. do you engage? Do you not? Do you kind of what are they going to do next turn? They can only move four inches. They're really slow. But what they touch, they kill. And that's the kind of, that's the guarantee you get from retributors. Which I've, I've, that's the retributed guarantee. What they touch, they kill. Um, and that's what I've kind of missed from not running them for so long. Mm. So I, I've, I've run Vanguard for so, so long because I love those models and they're my best painted models. Uh, but they're not very good in the game, really. <laughs> I yeah. haven't figured out to use them, really. Um, it's half and half. It's part It's part of their wall scrolls and it's part of me not really using them properly. Uh, but I know how to use a big unit retributors. I know how to get into the army and just mess stuff up. It's a tank, basically. It's a big, great big tank. It's great. I need to finish basing them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once upon a, One day I will do that. So my opening was kind of... So I knew... I think a lot of what Zinch... I think there are... Zinch is very adaptable, particularly because some of the units are so fast. Yes. Um, and I realized that I had two major advantages. One is that I had two heroes with a 16 inch move. You had two foot slugging night encantors and tantras. Right. So, and those night encantors can die real quick. Yeah, they can. Um, so in terms of getting on objectives, I realized like sticking around to fight your retributors doesn't make any sense no, to me whatsoever. No. Like I'm not, I have no unit that can stand toe to toe to them at all. Um, like I could probably whittle them down eventually if I focused a lot of things, but that's, there's no point. Just mm-hmm. get, kill your heroes get into your back line, control the objectives, yeah. win that way. Right, right. Um, and there are two um, there are two things about 
the way Zeech works now, particularly given that I was going second, that I want to take advantage of. And I think we can talk about some of these changes, but when you roll your destiny dice with Zinch, you're kind of looking, I think, for two things. Obviously, it depends on the composition of your army, but the... um uh, well, let's talk about agendas. We probably may have talked about this already on this on the pod, but these are part of the new Zinch Allegiance ability, which are essentially like plots you can declare at the start of your hero phase. Mm. Like, this turn, I am going to do a nine-inch charge. This this turn, I'm going to kill a hero or a monster with nine or more wounds. I'm going to cast two spells on a nine or more. <laughs> All of these things. And if you pull them off, the unit that pulls them off gets a permanent buff, which are often very powerful. Yeah. Um, and there are some really obvious combos here. So both Zangor and Zangor Enlightened love the plus one attack for succeeding at a nine inch charge mm. one because that actually puts them like puts Zango back to the power level back when they first came out and they got an absurd number of attacks right. it kind of puts them back there and one of the cool things about that particular one is you can guarantee it because you can move to nine inches away and as long as you have two destiny dice that add up to nine you can, you can make it. it happen. Yeah, sure. And aside from any effects in the game that slow down charges and things like that, which do exist, mm. there's uh, basically no way to fail it, which is great. Um, and so when you roll, when I roll my destiny dice, the first thing I looked at was like, what have I got? Because if if I have a four and a five, which I did, um, I think I had a weird destiny roll. I had four twos, um, like four twos, two threes, uh, a four, a five, and a six. I think lots of twos. I had a lot of twos, um, but um, one thing about that is you look at the four and five and go, okay, that's going to guarantee that charge. Yeah, right. To get that plus one attack, and then any sixes that you don't need for that. Personally, I think, particularly in this scenario, are best save for the skyfires. So the plan was um, guarantee some uh, fated arrow, D three mortal wounds things with the skyfire arrows, and just try and take out your heroes. Mm. Try and snipe them with the skyfires and so on, and then. Um, sort of and then guarantee that big charge with the Zangor and let them go to work um, but on my first and that was kind of all going to plan except on my first turn I kind of I made I would say probably two mistakes hmm. I think thinking about it so I decided to ignore your block of retributes completely yep. move everything forwards including the Vortex Beast um, so the Vortex Beast every in each of my hero phases I can pick a unit within 18 inches of it and roll a dice and they get some kind of effect and on anything, a four, five, and six are all various mortal wound effects, hmm. um, which up to and including turning people into spawn, which is great. Ones, twos, and threes are debuffs, mostly debuffs to movement. Um, so on that first turn, uh, Tantris got hit with Trog Brains. So <laughs> he he's, he's dumber now. He's even dumber than he was before. And slower. Extraordinary. Um, I was hoping to do loads of mortal wounds to him, but yeah. yeah. Um, and then the idea was to send the, um, the Skyfires and the enlightened sort of screeching that way to go assassinate some heroes and um just catapult the zangor up the other side of the board because 20 zangor can do a lot of work 360 yeah. points worth of stuff smash into your uh, sequiturs and judicators and start really holding you down in that other area yeah right um i made two mistakes one is zangor really really want their buffs mm. the, the hate master has a very good buff for them but also they just get plus one to wound from being within 12 of an arcanite hero um, however, I realized at that point that I had done something real dumb, which was I had deployed the Ogroid and the, the Zangor Shaman on one flank and the Fate Master on the other. Right. And, but you're always going to need to keep one hero back 
in order to actually cap the objective in the first turn yeah. in the first turn mm. so I had to keep the fake master back and I think that changed a lot of the dynamic of that fight it, really it basically did. meant that the I still went for it with the Zangor they, they screamed ahead and uh, made it into combat with the Secretors um, but they didn't do a lot because mm. they were lacking all their buffs I mean there was one we posted this on Discord there was one incredible role in there there's some bad roles yeah <laughs> which was two Zangor mutants with five attacks each throwing so total ten attacks throwing them into the Judicators ten attacks four up to hit mm. and I rolled eight threes and two ones it's extraordinary <laughs> I was delighted obviously but yeah. that was, that's a pretty crazy and, and I like I'm a real dumb like I've no interest in like moaning about dice it was just one of those incredible like what <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely um but yeah, so that was a bit like it's more to say that was the mistake was like I think a lot of playing Zinch effectively now is like managing bubbles where heroes can be. Because yes. heroes are very maneuverable, mm. but if they're not in the right place, it's you're... tricky, isn't it? Because they're also quite fragile. Um, yeah, a lot of them. Actually, the Fate Master is less fragile. That's kind of a really cool thing about uh, Zinch, the new book. I, mm. I don't know if it's made the Fate Master tougher. Or... The Fate Master's always had that ability. Actually. Right, really. It's just they they used to have a they used to be more expensive. Right, they used to have a command ability that didn't make any sense. <laughs> okay. Yeah, fair enough. But I found the Fate Master to be like a great character mm. uh, in the Zeech because like it's really survivable in a way that the other heroes aren't, and they still grant the buffs to the units nearby, which seems yeah, like a, right. It seems great. So to explain how that works, the Fate Master has a four up save, which is rare enough for Zeech because almost always yeah, it's all five five up right? yeah. Um, but they get plus two to their save in combat mm. if their opponent can't fly and isn't a monster. Mm. Um, which means they're still a little bit vulnerable to anything that can kind of like proc mortal wounds on a six or something like that, because that will still work. But it means that it's a, a part, you know, it's a two up save against almost everything. I think in hindsight, because there's some artifacts you can do to make that even better, I would have been better not running my um, Arcana, um, the the uh, blah, 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 cult of the transient form, right. actually giving the the fate master an artifact that gave me the save even better. Mm. But anyway, so these fate master stayed behind to babysat the objective. Zangor ran into the midst of battle and started to bog down some uh, secretors. That was a good scrap. And everything else moved forward. I think the the Skyfire shooting did two mortal wounds, but nothing else, I, yeah. I think, to a hero. And then um, uh, that was two mortal wounds. I actually got two sixes, one from Destiny Dice, but it was two mortal wounds between them. Mm. Um, and then uh, it turned into the roll-off. And the roll-off was an interesting one because I rolled a six and then you rolled a six. Yeah, I love so, those roll-offs. <laughs> yeah. I, and so if I like, automatically win uh, in... You win dr- draws, yeah. In, draws. In AOS2, yeah. Yeah, in AOS2, um, which just means less rolling, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. But that was very useful for me because it meant I could uh, sort of push up a bit with Tantra. So particularly get the Retributors around the corner of a giant Chaos Relic uh, that was in the way. Um, and then they were in charge range of the back of the uh not skyfires the it was the skyfires the skyfires oh we forgot something oh yes. the enlightened charge tantris <laughs> yes that's true <laughs> what happened when the enlightened charge tantris um so tantris actually like woke up <laughs> and like did a fight and was quite good uh he, he repelled most of the blows he struck back and i took um some artifacts with him um i took a, a particular hammer i can't remember what it was called but um it's <laughs> very tantrous response yeah yeah tantrous doesn't know it's just it hits things it's good um but it gives you two extra attacks against chaos specifically mm-hmm. which would make sense for him because it, all he mm-hmm. does is fight chaos and he's there to squash chaos legions down um and he struck back and the dracoth struck back and killed two of the sky enlightened uh, sorry i think he did um, i think he did 10 damage total because he did kill two of them and did two and damage also wounded the, yeah. the, the remaining one which is the thing is like when tantrus gets hot he's great um 
And the more dice you kind of put on him to roll uh, with those attacks, the, be- the better it is with a, a Lord Zealiston. Um, but his normal profile, he rolls, I think, like six dice between him and the Drakoff. Yeah. And it's so easy just to whiff that. And that's that's often what happens with the heroes in Stormcast Armies. I think it's true generally, actually. Like yeah. heroes that can't provide their own rerolls or something. Yes. Like I've been thinking about this a lot recently while this building for Safe to Darkness. Right. Safe to Darkness has really easy access to rerolls for heroes. Right. And it's sort of low-key one of the best things about the army. Right, yeah. Because yeah. they provide their own marks, right? Like, yeah, it gives them a bit of extra consistency that you can have the best profile in the world, but if you're only rolling six dice, you just don't know what's going to happen from turn to turn, yeah. really. Um, but yeah, so in your second turn, the Retributors ran around a big Chaos star, charged into the, the Skyfires. Yeah, they did. That was bad news for the Skyfires. It was bad news for the Skyfires. Yeah, <laughs> they just about got caught. So the slowest unit in my army managed to catch some Skyfires, just thanks to the double turn, basically, mm. um, which was huge because those Skyfires would have gone and killed the Incantor quite quickly, I think, on my own point. If I'd gotten the double that turn, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and at that point, I'm down to two heroes and... You know, Tantris is kind of stranded in the middle near the mm. the, the purple sun. Uh, but luckily, the double turn I managed to catch them and pin them basically, and that was. Uh, it didn't matter if I killed them; just pinning them was enough to sort of like they could run retreat, of course. But uh, just that turn, getting that damage on them, killing a few of them. Yeah, you killed two, I think. Yeah, which is massive. And I killed two, and only a few of them were in contact. Like only a few of them managed to actually make it into enough range to strike. But those uh, the, the great maces they have are just amazing. They're great maces. They're, they're, they're great, great maces. <laughs> they've, they've changed the rules on them a little bit, but they're still bloody good. Yeah. Um, that allowed the Mutilith Vortex Beast to pile in. Yes, it did. With his weird attacks. His giant tentacle mouth. Which did actually eat one whole retributor. Yeah, in fact, um, so I love the 3d6 attacks that he does with his maw. Mm. Uh, and I love 3d6 attacks. Um, because I, I remember fighting a giant uh, seraphon dinosaur thing in the, at the tournament in Nottingham at the Games Workshop HQ when we were playing doubles um, and that thing did two or three d6 attacks and it's incredible how bad it is <laughs> it sounds amazing doesn't it it's like wow i could get 18 attacks out yeah. of this thing. but if they're like four plus four plus it doesn't matter anyway it's not really going to do much no rend damage one that's why i was impressed when it killed anything yeah it yeah. did eat one thing um it did eat one thing which is great good uh, for you yeah yeah good good job mutilith um it, it's job really like the reason for piling in like i realized its job is to be a big 12 rune, wound road roadblock yeah. to something. It's big base as well. So big you, base yeah. gets in the way. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> never going to achieve much. Like, mm. I feel like with the Mutalith, you kind of want to screen it for ages and get as many hero phases as you can out of it. Mm-hmm. But its effect in the hero phase is so hit and miss. Right. Because I got... Um, so it survived that turn because it piled in after your retributor's already fought. Mm-hmm. And then on my second turn... It managed to make your knight encanto slower. Yes, but like because on on a five or a six, it does d six mortal wounds. There's nice. always that chance that it just deletes a hero. Yes, that's a huge, isn't it? Um, but I feel like the weird thing about metaliths is they're not that expensive as monsters go. They're 170 points, but I, I think they're. I mean, if I if I was a uh, if I was building for the tournament, I probably there there are better uses 170 points in each army. Yeah, they just are. That's either a hero or more enlightened or, mm. or something like that. Yeah, all of those are better. Or <laughs> <any other> spells <laughs> or you know whatever. Yeah. Um, but I'd even take the command points over a mutant. You big useless dog. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What a great model as well. It is. It's a beautiful model. model. I feel like I think it needs just to step out for a moment. I'm thinking about it. it I said this before we played, but like. You look at it and you see monster. What it really is, is like 
the Chaos War Shrine mm. is this big slow thing that you don't really want to be fighting with, but it provides buffs. Yes. The Vortex Beast is a big slow thing that it actually doesn't really want to be fighting that provides debuffs. Mm. And that's kind of the idea. But I think the debuffs need to be more significant for it to be worth it. Yeah, movement debuffs aren't amazing. Well, they could given be. that two of them are movement debuffs. If it if like if one of the movement debuffs was like you can't run, that would be great. Mm. But minus one to run, who cares? Yeah, I think if the I think if if Doctor, um, we've got plenty of battle report to to get on with. But I think if it was like because I get that on a four up, it starts to do more wounds. That's interesting. That's good. But the other. I think the other things it can do are minus one bravery, minus one to run rolls, and minus one move. Mm. I think if one of those was permanent minus one hit, or like even just at one turn of minus one to hit, suddenly that's massive. Yeah, it's really good. I think either that maybe permanent minus one save would be pretty big as That'd well. That'd be amazing, yeah. Or like something like um, half the next charge roll for this model. Like something like that. Yeah. Where suddenly like... I like, I like the idea that he's, it's a bit, it's basically useless in combat. It's basically not going to do anything. Mm. It's, it's sort of not that tough. He's got plenty of wounds. It's going to take a few turns. But I like the idea that it would be a debuff unit that you just have to delete because of those yeah. effects. You know, something that you really have to think about. Uh, it's just not in that place at the moment. No, I think all giving it something like, you know, not to redesign the mutual vortex beast on the fly, but something like if there's a hero within. <coughs> three inches of it mm. you can pick which effect it does right something like that or mm. like you know um there's an effect for slow to darkness at the moment which on a different table in under certain conditions you can either um you can adjust the result by plus or minus two right and that sort of thing where it'd be like if there's a hero nearby you can tweak it or something mm. like that so yeah, you can try cute. and get the result you want yeah. that would that would give it something i think but Godspeed, <laughs> Vortex weirdo. I'm glad it was on the board. I'm, I'm glad you were glad. here. <laughs> I enjoyed fighting it. It was great. Yeah. So in your, um, so I, yeah, so I went second that turn um, and that was kind of a big, um, that was sort of a, being able to bring the plan to bear. So on my second turn, uh, the Skyfire ran the hell away. Yeah. Reasonable. Ran for the back line. The Zangor Shaman sprinted for your backline, which you had left behind, so I could grab an objective there. Yeah, that was a mistake I made. Um, the Ogroid Thaumaturge charged both Tantris and the Night Encantor. Yeah. And the Night Encantor at this point, I think, had two uh, two health. or it had taken it, two wounds, I think. It had taken two wounds. Yeah. And Tantris had five left. Yes. Uh, the charge, he does more, he can do more wounds on a charge on a two-up by roll of one, so that mm. didn't happen. Um, and then the Fate Master, now kind of able to to do her thing, charged for the Night Encounter, and I was really confident about this because, yeah. like, that bonus to save the Night Encounter is neither flying nor a monster, so can get in there and and shift that Night Encounter and then take your backfield. So I was kind of fairly confident in being able to get all four objectives mm. on the second turn. Um, the what happened that turn? So the uh, Fate Master failed to kill the Night Encantor, which was fairly big. Although the Fate Master's attacks aren't amazing. No. Not having Rend, I think, hurts her a little bit. It's that, it's that resilience, I think, that Zeech often lacks. I think that's what makes the Fate Master really good, yeah. based on what I've seen of her. Very resilient, but not not necessarily the assassin you send in to kill Yeah, something. right. Yeah. Um, the Ogroid... I was really worried about the Ogroid. Cause it, so the Ogroid gets full rerolls if they take any wounds. But I really didn't want to let it go second against Tantris. Mm, because just I just might just get... Given that Tantris had just done 10 wounds to a yeah. unit with the same number of... Yeah. Same save. Um, uh, needn't have worried. No. <laughs> Tantris, in true Tantris form, decided to whiff that turn. Um, <laughs> I'm quite used to this happening. 
which is why I don't really rely on rely on him to kill stuff, mm. which is a shame because uh, he's riding a big dinosaur and you'd expect that he'd be quite good at killing things. Um, occasionally he just goes ham and just is great, uh, but you just have to expect him to whiff, and he did. He did, yeah. So the ogre actually made it, got away with that. Um, uh, what else happened? So the the Zangor sequitur judicator combat mm. kind of dragged on. I mean, actually, that that turned the Zangor and the judicators both tore chunks out of each other. Yes, it was pretty bloody on that flank. Um, not judicators, sorry, sequiturs. Yes, but the crucial, increasingly crucial thing is that on both flanks, the sequiturs, sorry. The, the judicators, the, judicators the, the archers, yeah. The archers continued to be kind of left alone. Yeah. Like, I was actually trying to put as many Zangor attacks as I could into the judicators, recognizing them as actually, in some ways, the bigger threat. Yes. But um, they just kept kind of getting, surviving. Like, I think that, they have a four-up save, right? They've got a four-up save. Yeah. So, it's kind of, they, they were just getting through it. And that was sort of a positioning thing on my part, where maybe if I, I think, in hindsight, if I'd waited to turn with the Zangor and angled them into the judicators, that may have been a... yeah. I don't know because secretors, if they decide to charge their weapons, they they're a match for the Zangor. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like, Particularly like, having ten of them, nine of them. Yeah, and and actually, strangely, um, rolled pretty well for even the melee attacks for the archers. So they actually killed quite a few uh, on both flanks. Actually, when they eventually yeah. got into combat. Um, so uh, the thing with Stormcast, it's always two wounds behind a four up save, and if you don't have rend or mortal wound output, they're always going to be tough to shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you've got a massive unit of skeletons or a massive unit of Zangor, like it's they're, they're resilient in that way. Yeah, right. And the um, like, um, yeah. So I sort of moved up. So, I, uh, but I did manage to get all three objectives that turn. Yes. So the idea was, uh, sorry, I managed to get three of them. So I had my two in the backfield in my half, and then I stole the one that you'd left behind. Yeah, that was the, that was the biggest mistake I made in the game was moving the knight and cantor off that point because it wasn't. The, the encounter wasn't going to do anything in the middle of the battle or in the middle of the field. So I should have just left him on the point and sort of had him there negating uh, a fast uh, Zeech hero on a disc that could just fly over and nick it. Yeah. Um, so I should have... The, the, that was the big, biggest mistake I made. Mm. Um, mm. I think there were a few other things that happened. So um, I took... Uh, my Sangor Shaman had the very good spell Arcane Suggestion, which is the one that's either D3 Mortal Wounds. You pick either D3 Mortal Wounds, minus one to hit and wound, or minus one save. Really good. Um, but because you had two knight encantors, that was a very good use of one of their once per game guaranteed unbinds. Like just yeah, I'll always take encant- I'll always take encantors against each because that guaranteed unbind at the right time is can be absolutely crucial. Um, and you still get to try to unbind with rolls as well with yeah. them. Um, and that's such a novelty for Stormcast. Like before that chamber opened, they had. No, chance. they could do nothing against each. Basically, yeah, <laughs> they, they, right. had, they had no one who could stand it. They had like priests and things, but no one could unbind stuff. Well, it was interesting. One thing I noticed during the game, and I wonder if if you noticed this, was that our phases were about the same length for both of our yeah, armies. Definitely. How yeah. did that? That must have felt different. No, it's you. good. Yeah, it's it's really good. I think I don't know. I think there's loads of stuff. We'll come on to talk about this each book in detail. But um, for me fighting against them, it just seems like so much more streamlined in terms of. Uh, apart from perhaps like Zangor weapon profiles and the many many different profiles they have, like that that creates a lot of extra time and kind of yeah. um, admin basically. But apart from that, just even when you're describing to me the the horror rules, like the pink horror rules, it seems like oh that's just a quick and easily resolved thing that could just happen in about two minutes in a in a battle, and you don't have to necessarily go through the book looking at you know very specific rules or tallying points for one thing or another thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's tallying the invisible points that might 
turn into summons at some point in the future. It all just seemed much clearer to me and more straightforward. I understood your army much more. I think it's possibly because it was a more infantry-focused army. Yeah. And I, I find it easier to see a unit and know what they can do rather than, you know, keeping my head a lot of abstract spells and abstract invisible effects. Yeah. And I, I feel as though Fighting Zeech, was, there, was, there was much many fewer abstract invisible effects and much more just this unit is now better now because they're within range of this and it's very clear yeah it's much clearer and yeah i think you're right about the zangle weapon profile still being a bit mad i think it's kind of it's good that they are a unit that is designed to be run as a big block that goes and kills things yeah because they're so expensive they're 260 points so you're not you're probably not gonna have more than one of them Hmm. you're probably gonna take one and then some other battle line that's cheaper and then some other elites and things and heroes to fill out your army and that means that while the Zangor War Scroll is mad, you're probably not resolving more than one combat with them. Yes, good point. In yeah. turn. Yeah. Whereas, like, like hypothetically, you could take multiple big blocks of Zangor, but that's most of your army at that point. Yeah. So you're not going to have, therefore, you're not going to have other stuff that's also taking it with the time. Yeah, like, yeah, that's true. Really. Whereas previously, I think it was very possible to have multiple things all took ages to resolve. Yeah. Yeah, quite right. Um, so, your... So that was my second turn. You... Won the roll off for the next round as well. Yes. So I'm trying to remember this round three. This was when I think this was the scary shooting turn. Yeah. So I think I turned it on, <laughs> by which I mean um, I rolled well with the adjudicator primes. And the primes, what happens with them is um, you roll to hit on two plus, and if they hit, they do d6 wounds. So you yeah. roll, and that is that could just double the output of damage for the unit. And if they roll well, it, they're a unit unto themselves that are basically. Everyone else needed his chaff to protect the the primes when they go mad like that. Um, so I can't remember who actually shot off, but the Zangle Shaman, the Zangle Shaman went down, and the Fate Master, Fate Master went down because so that was one of the big things. Is the Fate Master's defensive bonuses don't do anything at shooting, right? Which is one of the main reasons why the Judicators were so scary. Yeah, because it's like the Fate Master then goes to being a unit with a four up save against a unit with a rend. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Judicators, this they live for this to pick off weak heroes that's that's mm. their entire purpose is just to do that like linchpin uh heroes and undead army in a siege army if you show your face they'll shoot it off <laughs> <Basically>, that, <laughs> that's what they're there to do um and they really they really did it and i'll always take them over for example long strikes the long strikes again is like that you only get three dice rolls of them they're amazing they could they could delete like very very powerful units if you roll correctly mm. but you're rolling three dice instead of five dice and one of them turning into d6 attacks and it's, it's that dice mass that just makes judicators very very good and still quite extremely good for the points as well and their battle line and their battle line which is insane <laughs> it's really good it's a really good unit they're still great um it's weird when we played uh in the miniatures monthly event in cardiff uh i took loads and loads of shooting and stormcast shooting scales up in a terrifying way if you go above the 2000 point mark if you yeah. if you're getting like multiple units of adjudicators plus long strikes and other stuff uh maybe ballista and stuff like that their shooting is formidable like it's quite scary um and in a smaller game like this with two units of adjudicators on the board which you, you try to disrupt but it's very hard like there's still two two wounds each you know there's yeah. still hard to get rid of i think in hindsight like i should have not gone for the charge with the Enlightened and just got the Enlightened into them because... Just to shut them down. Yeah, but even then, like, the Enlightened can't really weather the shooting because they're a five-up save. That's the thing, because you can shoot into close combat. Yeah. They just have massive damage output potential, even if though their swords are rubbish. (laughs) Yeah. 
So they, they, they try and hit them with the swords and they pull the bows out and kill, kill you with the bows instead. So <laughs> I don't know what you're supposed to do about it, really. Like, um, fast attacks, sky fires and stuff like that, getting into them probably do the job. But they Yeah, been... maybe some like, cheap units of screamers. That yeah, can come screamers would do it. Yeah, yeah, screamers are tough enough to weather the shooting. The screamers will die because they're like five, five up save, nine... Five up save nine wins in a unit, but like they will force you to shoot them. Yeah, rather than probably for like two just, turns, right? Yeah, one or two. I'd say. Yeah, yeah, totally. That was also this was also the turn that so the Ogroid was locked in melee combat with the Night Encanto and Tantris, and they both ran away. They both just tactically retreated. I'll say, but yes, yeah. ran away basically. And I managed to actually because I was controlling the the Purple Sun. And I like the idea that this moment plot wise was um, despite the battle definitely going Stormcast way. Casualties wise, I did manage to kind of free Moloch or the Bale Sphere from his chains and shunt him into your territory. Yeah, right. Over the Ogroid, um, Tantris, and the Night Encantor. Um, Purple Suns only do damage or even kill models outright on a six. Hmm. There were no sixes rolled, so no one took any damage. Everyone from was fine. It was freaky, but fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was good, actually. It was a pretty freaky, <laughs> pretty freaky time, Tantris. But he was all right, yeah. yeah it was it fine. Was fine. Didn't even barely noticed. No. Um, but I like the idea that after this happened, both of your heroes realised, oh, we were here to contain was, that. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're here for, absolutely. I think um, I was obsessed with trying... Uh, after I was obsessed with, obviously, you could just take out your opponent's heroes in the hero-based scenario... Mm job done um and the ogre thermatoge is the beast like the beastliest literally but the uh, but it's it's the one that could actually kill me it's the one that actually kills can kill stormcast reliably um so i wanted to kind of try and take it out or at least wound it enough for the shooting to take him out but that terrible round of tantris uh combat meant that it's like well screw it it's not gonna happen (laughs) so tantris decided to book it so the other side of the board um Used the command point just to run, not as fast as he would have, because he was scag brained. What was it? it tro- trog brained. Trog brained. <laughs> so he couldn't run as quite as fast as he normally could, but still booked it 15 inches it's towards weird the objective. To me that he's too stupid to run fast. <laughs> it doesn't quite make sense, does it? It's like any idiot can run fast. Yeah. Um, I like the idea maybe it's just hesitance. Like he, he goes, like, I should go over there. He just thinks about it for a bit. Sort of like, should I though? Yeah. <laughs> and then off he goes. Like, it's not in like. It's not even him. His Drakoth is is transporting him. The Drakoth isn't an idiot. It's perfectly. <laughs> maybe that is what happened though. Maybe the trog brains has been applied to the Drakoth. Maybe that's yeah. it. Yeah. Maybe that's it. It's like he's already carrying a big trog on his back, yeah. and now he's fuzzy as well. But that meant that Tantris could get in range of the um, of your objective in your backfield. Yeah. Uh, especially because I know at that point it was just swarming with retributors as well. So just so many retributors. It was just, just like, it was a wall of steel. It was, nothing was getting in there. Like, uh, Tantris was going to capture that and nothing that yeah. each could do about it, really. Um, so we'd kind of swapped sides a bit. We'd kind of swapped ends yeah. on the right flank where our elites were fighting. Uh, and in on the left flank where the infantry were fighting, it was just a massive bloodbath <laughs> where everyone just slowly killed each other. Yeah, it was a massive bloodbath. And it was a it was an interesting situation because... So you also moved your knight encounter back to the home field objective that he had been. Yes. To kind of cap it back. Which is from... where it should always have been. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He realised this mistake. because like, oh, I shouldn't have left. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Um, he'd left the gas on. Yes. Um, and then um, I think the the Fate Master going down in combat... Actually, so the Fate Master took like six wounds from shooting. Mm. Luckily, she had a plus one wound artifact but then she took a hit in combat um because again that rend it means it's only a three up save yeah right i'm a man who can roll a two (laughs) Uh, so that's um that was 
that so that was sort of the failure of her job which was to capture that corner from that one night in Cantor yeah who at this point had like two wounds left I think so anyway so the Ogroid now left on his own in my turn uh, heads in that direction with the Kyrix Kyrix shooting basically did nothing mm. at all in this most of the game. and then um, we had a scenario and then I had one Skyfire left who did shoot your Night Encounter on the back of the head. That's true. Yeah. And really irritated the Night Encounter. Yeah, I think right. he had four wounds left and the, the, the sky fighted three more wounds with shooting. Yeah, down to one wound. It's like, ow! It's <laughs> yeah, like, why? Yeah. <laughs> and it moved to three inches away. And so the plan was charge the Kyrex into the Judicators on your left flank, my my right. Um, charge the Ogroid in to mm-hmm. the Night Encounter because the Ogroid on a two-up does D3 mortal wounds. There's a good chance of killing two wounds hero if not killing him in combat outright and getting in range of that final objective with yep. the Ogroid and then a three inch charge on the <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Skyfire go kill that night encounter yeah right um, so the the Kyrix were I think five inches away from making that charge yeah they yeah. rolled a four yeah the Ogroid was a, had a five inch charge to make rolled a three a command pointed it yeah rolled a two I was so sure you were going to make that charge yeah Nope. I was delighted. That, the, the snake eyes were just like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm so lucky. <laughs> and nice. then the, the Skyfire only made it on a four. Yeah, like, just about got yeah, in there. Just, like, yeah. just a real slow kind of turn. Yeah. Everyone's feeling tired. It, yeah, it's getting towards the yeah. final third of the battle. Yes. So that was a, that was a bit of a shocker because that meant that yeah. that objective, because that objective would have changed hands that turn if my Ogre had made it in. Yes, that's didn't. right. Um, so that meant the Skyfire killed the Night Encounter by itself, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because not, nothing much else happened. Um, the right flank was decided at this point. It was empty, but for Stormcast and your one hero, wasn't it? It was empty, but for one Skyfire. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And then, uh, then we rolled off and I did get the double turn. That's right. That turn. Mm. Um, which meant that the Ogroid could charge into the Night Encounter and did make it and did flatten him with the Mortal Wounds on the charge. Did well, yeah. Um, and I chose to try and, like, run back towards my own backfield objective with the Kyrex mm. while shooting at the Judicators, which did nothing. Yeah. Um, basically, with the idea that on the next turn, just try and screen Tantris. Because at this point, the... Um, so one crucial thing was the... Because I failed all those charges... I couldn't force it, force you to equalize on objectives. Right. So you got three of them, which meant that you could move the purple sun, which meant that the purple sun, which couldn't make it all the way into my territory, um, did make it to the midway point in the board. That's right. Which meant that those plus three points for having it in your opponent's territory were no longer mine. Mm. And at this point, this is the the maths of the score line kind of shifted. Were well, you were one point ahead? Yeah. And so it kind of changed the dynamic of it slightly. Uh, then your turn, this was the Judicators shooting Kyrick's turn. Yes. Um, it's quite good when Judicators shoot Kyrix because they've only got one wound yeah. each, which I didn't realise. Um, and that is rough. Uh, so, so there are only three Judicators left on my left flank, yeah, but four left on the right flank. But they all had line of sight. That's all it takes. So they... I think they were four of them or something like that. You killed five and then I rolled a six on the battle shark. And they all ran away. They did That's all the run end away. Of the, that unit just vanished off the board. So at this point, we were going into round five? Or yes. Round f- yeah, we were going into round five, but I only had the Ogroid Thaumaturge. 
<laughs> it was literally the only thing on the board. Like, yeah. I, everything else was dead. Um, and Tantris was booking it across the board to get to the other point in your backfield, which he, yeah. was, gonna, he was guaranteed to tag in turn five, mm. pretty much, because there was the screen that you'd sent had been deleted by shooting. Um, so that there was an outside chance where Ogroid might have been able to sort of like get a great run roll and then a great charge roll and then perhaps get in on one of my points. But even then, I think I was still a point ahead. The Yeah, the crucial thing is it was no longer going to be possible for me to force a tie on objectives. Right. Because the way, like, the way I had a way, even so far behind on units, the way I had a kind of foot in the game was... Um, had I succeeded in those charges, mm. so had failing in all those charges set me back a turn in terms of tempo, basically. Yeah, it did. So if I'd if I'd held onto the if I'd if I'd kept it two and two on objectives, even if we're rotating around the board chasing each other, yes, the purple sun stays in your territory because neither of us are controlling. And then you it. get those three points, which would have three points at the end, secured it, which puts me two ahead. At this point, I think we realised that depending on how my run and charges went. Um, you're either going to be one point ahead mm. or four points ahead. Exactly, yeah. And at that point, we decided that the Stormcast had done, done enough. <laughs> yeah. They'd stomped enough Zinch for one day. Indeed, so we called it there. But it was a really fun game. I really it enjoyed it. It was great. I had a great time. Yeah, it was lovely. Um, yeah, really fun. I I just love big infantry battles. And, yeah. Um, we didn't really have... I guess you had sort of, sort of cavalry with the... I think discs count. Discs are kind of cavalry. They're probably the most abstract horse. Yeah, the most abstract horse. A very flat horse. <laughs> very fat, flat, floaty horse. Um, yeah, so you had that pace, which gave you like great potential advantage. But they just got caught by those retributors. I think that was a big yeah. part of the game. Uh, your failed charges was a massive point. But I think the retributors just just about disrupting your elites was a big point. I think, I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think also charging them into tantrums was a mistake. Mm. Like, I think they could do loads of work. I was sort of, it was a gamble. It was like, if he had, if, it, if he had had the kind of turn he had, he had against the Ogroid, right, yeah. he may have died that turn. Yes, uh, true. Um, but he didn't. He had a good turn, 10 damage. Suddenly that unit's absolutely ripped mm. to pieces. Um, the other big thing there was the, that, like, Playing for the double turn is always risky, particularly now that the uh, person who goes first has odds on to yeah, win the, that roll off. The draw, draw. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't really feel like I was playing for the double, but in that, that's one of those scenarios where the double would have gone very differently because I could have yeah. just scooted the skyfires all the all you know the hell away. Basically, yeah, you, yeah. You had the speed as well to get into my backline much quicker if you got that double turn as well. Yeah, um, but I don't want to focus on just like the the, the bad luck things. I think I I think I misplayed I think I should have been more patient on my right flank your left flank and mm. just actually held them back a bit longer right because that way I could have guaranteed like because I I had obviously taken a sacrifice in terms of command you know basically I didn't really get any advantage from my uh, coven selection like the cult of the transient form no because the Kyrak acolytes never got into combat which meant that their fight again when they die thing didn't trigger yeah true and also it meant that they had no chance to turn to Zangor mm. and they were never close enough to the Zangor unit to reinforce it anyway. Yeah, sure. So that was just like, that whole flank didn't work, basically, like mm. I would say. Like, I think there's a version of it where I'm not, don't go as fast. I think it's, it, there's an advantage to Stormcast where all their units fight very independently. Like, yeah. it just does what it does. They're very self-contained. And if you're running into a unit like that without the buffs required, it's going to be difficult. Um, I think the, the Zangor and the uh, Sequitas basically deleted each other. 
Yeah. But that Zangor unit was an expensive unit and was uh, the main sort of anvil of your force. Mm. And I think breaking that made me feel much better about the game because um, once that had kind of fragmented, I had a really good turn with um, the sequiturs that just, with a good battle shock that kind of cut that unit in half. And once that's gone from his each army, the Stormcast don't have much to fear if there isn't a Lord of Change there with big mortal wound spells. Yeah, right. Or more enlightened or something. Or like exactly, that. yeah, right. Yeah, I think that's I think that's reasonable. I think one of the choices I made when list building is I went for a I had sixty points left over and I went for an extra command point rather than something like the Geminids. Oh, right. I think in hindsight I probably would have taken the Geminids because mm. I think the extra mortal wound output and the potential to do like the minus one attacks, minus one to hit stuff. Um, would actually have been more useful to yeah, me. Yeah, I fear Geminids with Stormcast. They're very, very good against. Them. Yeah, and I think I think um, Mortal Zinch really wants command points because Battleshock scary and things like that. Yeah, but yeah, like I think it's it's an interesting one. The other thing is like if um, I think you know if that I could have taken I could have dropped the Vortex Beast and taken something like Cursling and having right. an extra hero to mm. run around and provide those buffs and things would yeah. have been way better I sad to lose the vortex beast because it's such a good centerpiece model it was really cool but hmm. yeah it was fun though <laughs> it is fun to roll the dice and find yeah. out what's happened to Tantris now <laughs> <laughs> he's even slower than he was bless him but it was really nice to bring that kind of matchup back and it does feel so different now that we've got like not evenly matched combat forces because as you say they're very very different armies but like we're, we're playing the same game rather yeah. than it being like I'm going to roll dice during my magic phase. Yeah, if I get the rolls, good things happen. If I don't, bad things happen. I think it's just that both of the armies have moved into the same space. So the Stormcast have gained magic. They've gained dispels and stuff like that. I, I found that the spells you were casting were much more easy to understand than a lot of the spells yeah. that seem can cast with Lords of the Chains. I'm sure there are some complicated spells in there. They have really simplified it. Like, yeah. stuff tends to just do a thing. And yeah. it can be quite effective. Like, they tend, they've, they've simplified them and made them better, mm. which I like because it reduces variance. Like, they're less spiky now than they used to be, right. where it's like you roll a dice and you get a particular effect. Mm. It's now like, I'm going to pick this effect. Like, having a bit more choice in terms of how what things happen, even when those choices are powerful, feels yeah. better than, like, I'm going to roll nine dice, and if this comes up, then this might happen, but it might not, and all this kind of weirdness. Yeah, and as someone playing that army, um, I much prefer, I don't mind if it's more powerful. I, I care more that I can understand what's happening dice-wise and like odds-wise. I understand D6 Mortal Wounds is good on a 4+, plus, for example, but rolling X number of dice and then re- for every 4+, plus rolling something else, it's like, I t- can't be bothered to pass that in terms of odds and in terms of its yeah. effectiveness and it's it's frustrating for both the, you as the attacker and me as the defender because um we both don't know what the very it's so variable that it seems it always undermines the game I yeah mean, right i like the um it's one of the reasons i like the agendas so much in a way i really enjoyed got, those like, i really enjoyed those a part of me like initially thought it was very funny that like zinch's whole thing is like you have these hidden agendas and actually on a warhammer community article about them they're called agendas anarchy in the book but in, you know, in, they call them hidden agendas. Hmm. The idea that you kind of reveal what your plan is. Yeah. But I, and, and that seems stupid to me because you reveal it and then you have to try and do it. <laughs> but then I realized like that it's kind of perfect for the sort of plotting maniacal villain faction. Yes. Like you have to actually give your evil speech yes. about what you're about to do. You have to explain your evil plan <laughs> yeah. as you're doing it. Yes, yeah. That's perfect. I really, really enjoyed those. They were great. Um, and it feels like so. Do you, you don't pay any points for that. It's just an it's an allegiance ability. So it's, so it's an intrinsic team. part of the army. I think yeah. that's wonderful. I think it's brilliant. Like just that little edge of just 
encourages you to take risks with a nine inch charge or just do something a little bit unusual and i really enjoyed they almost look like um the tokens you get almost look like kind of fortune cookie things that you, yeah. just, uh, you take out of a fortune cookie and be like i'm going to make a nine inch charge this time so they are from the um zeech war scroll cards pack right not, not with the battle tome but to be honest that alone is is kind of like the best thing about that pack but yeah um no, I really like them. And I'm interested in, I think if we go to 2,000 points and we play, like if I add some War Scroll Battalions and things like that, yeah, um, there are interesting or different artifacts. There are ways to um, do more with Destiny Dice, to cycle them, to kind of achieve different things. Oh, cool. So like, for example, there's a battalion I really want to run, uh, which I think people might be sleeping on a little bit, which is a collection of each mortal heroes of a particular composition. And you, at the start of the game, but only at the start of the game, so you can change it every game, you pick one of them mm. to be the leader of the cult. And whenever you spend a destiny dice on any role for the leader of the cult, you uh, get to roll it after you've used it. And on a two up, it returns to the destiny pool as whatever it rolled. Right. And that becomes really interesting because it means you can create scenarios where you're constantly rolling destiny dice back in. <laughs> so like suddenly when you've got those piles of twos, yes. let's say you've got a fake master that can save on a two. Yeah. Just spend them and then yeah, roll yeah. them back in. Get them back in. Like, like better numbers. Yeah. That's better numbers or different numbers. And I really like that idea. And I think there's lots of depth there that I'd like to play with. Yeah, fun. That you don't quite get at with 1500, but mm. could do. I could do if I didn't take the vortex beast. That <laughs> seems to be the key. That seems to be the, the linchpin. <laughs> yeah. It seems to be the, the thing that <laughs> should be changing that army though I, I i like i don't know for the spectacle of it i'm so glad that was on the table it's like a parade float it really is yeah 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 it's even like, like big parade balloon on the back yeah yeah fantastic <laughs> like, why is it here we just like it all right we just like it it's good <laughs> it's good for morale <laughs> the tentacle creature is good for morale <laughs> <laughs> it's like um it's like one of those you know like like the sort of like trauma dogs like send oh, to right, a, yeah, like yeah. children's hospital give it a stroke and uh, <laughs> exactly. get your blood pressure down yes. yeah yeah it like the the, the mutilith therapy beast yeah <laughs> uh, i enjoyed slaughtering it <laughs> thanks past chris and tom while you were listening to that battle report we drank some wine not really because that's not how time works <laughs> i don't know how to come back from a break Matt, don't look at me like this. You've never, <laughs> never seen this situation. We have some questions uh, to round us out. What am I talking about? Some questions. Chris writes, Hi, Chris. Hi, Tom. And I'm going to add, Hi, Chimp, just to make sure you feel included. Thanks. Uh, many thanks for the long-awaited return. And we've managed to do one a month later-ish. Yeah. yeah. Take that time. Uh, I appreciate that being adults has probably caught up with both of you. And time is harder to come by than it once was. Um, one suggestion <clears throat> if you have a month when you're pretty sure you won't get a chance to, for a hobby or to record why don't you turn it around on your wonderful community and do community spotlight episodes I bet people would love it best wishes Chris what do you think Matt should we involve the community more in the production of the podcast <laughs> that's a bloody awful idea I don't need to do that <laughs> no, uh, no it's a good idea community members do this for a great crowbar sometimes um, we should have video game podcast so there's no reason why it can't happen for role, role, role models no, did role role model. <laughs> if there's one thing that role models is good at, it's generating its own things. That's true. That it does. Yeah, <laughs> that's a hell of a sentence, <laughs> but also a, a good sentiment. Like, yeah, no, I think. Well, I, mean, I was going to kind of expand on this to say that actually, um, the the, the communities much better than the podcast it justifies the existence <laughs> of the podcast yeah so uh, and so if you enjoy the podcast but you're sad that we don't get to do it more often 
and you'd like a kind of similar level of quality of Warhammer joke, um, but in a way that can distract you from work to to an nth degree, then I do definitely recommend hanging out on Discord because oh, it is good. Yeah, I'm going to get fired any day now. Oh yeah, um, yeah we all are. <laughs> it's um, but nonetheless. So yeah, I, we'll probably reiterate at the end, but the Crate and Crowbar podcast Discord, which is linked to the CrateandCrowbar.com website is where you'll find the role model section, which is now a section with its all own stuff and yeah. now regular events and team events and, and nice people. So honestly, even if we don't generate content from the community all the time, although we probably should figure out how to, um, uh, what I'm saying is you don't have to, you, your value is not predicated on how much content you generate. It's taken me a long time to internalize this, <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, that experience is available, uh, to all. What an experience it is. And what an experience. What a thrill. What a thrill. Uh, Andrew writes, Dear objects occasionally. I found myself accidentally playing a miniatures game on a monthly basis. Gloomhaven. Surely that counts. Anyway, I'm tempted to paint my plastic little guy, but in all likelihood, this will be the only miniature I ever paint. There's <laughs> a lot of pressure. Is there a cheap, effective way of making it look good? Thanks. Love the pod. All right. I think this is a really interesting idea. You are ever gonna, only ever going to paint one, one model, model in your life. You've never painted a model before. Mm. You won't practice. <laughs> no, How do you do this well? Because this is surely this isn't true for any of us, right? Our first models were mm. as teenagers and are abominations. Yes. Right. Yeah. I'm not help at abominations. Just no. I think my <laughs> first ever model was a Cairn Wraith. Ooh. Just to be on brands for nice owning a lot of death. Yeah, yeah. I painted it black, just black. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Suggest. <laughs> Good. That's not any that's, help. That's no, not it's not, not help. You just, help. just paint it black. Um, it depends what the model is. It's a ghost. What would you do? So yeah, you, in, you've got one shot mm. to make it. <laughs> I'd probably just uh, I'll just go to the Rakoth and then wash it in Agrax and leave it <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you can't go that wrong I feel like we need some context for what the model is yeah so yeah, Gloom, Gloomhaven is sort of gribbly um, like co-op not dungeon like slightly cosmic horror city adventure or zombies is it yeah. zombies or gribbles can't remember anyway in that context yeah so easy mode is like Spray it, I don't know, white or light grey. Wash it, like, uh, Agrax Earthshade. Dry brush it, mm. a stone colour. Yeah. Made yourself a marble statue. That's a thing. But if you actually want to pick out the details on the model... But then, the other thing is, he's only painted one model. Yeah. That's a lot of product to buy for one model. It is. So ideally, you don't even want to... Is it... Do we suggest bag of Sharpies... <laughs> because you will use mm. the sharpies for other things. Yeah, right. That's true. You, you could do. Yeah, I think maybe little like smallest possible pot of Agrax Earthshade, bag of multicolored sharpies yeah. from like Staples or Hobbycraft or something. Draw because then you don't have to learn how to use a brush. You don't have to buy a brush. You'll mm. never use again. You don't have to use paints that you have far too much of. The, the, the downside to this is if you enjoy the process. You've you've done it badly, mm. <laughs> and so you've learned nothing. The thing is, though, you don't necessarily need a brush. You could just dunk it in that glass. Could now you could, you could just do it. the legendary dip. Just dip it. Just dip it. But surely you got to undercoat the model first. 
Gotta just dip grey plastic into it. Just dip it in the undercoat. <laughs> Let it straight away dip it in the undercoat. <laughs> you don't need details. Don't do on this. Model, right? <laughs> You'll have a really cool blob at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Get a bucket of whatever paint you've last used to paint your walls. Yeah. Dip the model in. <laughs> I mean, there are cheap, there are cheaper acrylic paints, but again, you're still going to be spending, like, assuming that you want at least three colours, you're probably Mm. spending 20 quid on paint and brush. If you pick paints that have specifically been in issues of Warhammer Conquest, you could probably pick them up for cheap on eBay. That's a good idea. There's the, I mean, there are the cheap kind of starter paint sets that Games Workshop do, Mm. which are like 20 quid. Still a lot of money. It is mm. for one to paint one model. <laughs> it's a really interesting question because it's like I, I want to get into the hobby, but then immediately stop. Yeah. It's like the really interesting. Like, <laughs> it's like there's an on ramp and then a cliff. That's, that's exactly, it's an on ramp into a wall. Yeah. So say like Warhammer is a very expensive hobby to get into initially, mm. and part of that wild expense is all the hobby yeah. paraphernalia you need. And once you've got all that, actually Warhammer's quite a cheap hobby. Comparatively. Yeah, I mean, no, I think I think you're right. I think it depends on what people are used to spending on their hobbies, obviously. Mm. But, like, I agree with you, like, yeah. Because yeah. compared to, like, buying a new army and buying into a new console generation... You know. Oh, yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, totally. Not Give it a similar. Yeah. No, no, I, I, like, I, I agree. Um, I, I'm bound to agree because <laughs> a principle we like to call the sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> um, but um, the, yeah, like, I just love the idea of, like, I want to paint exactly one model and never paint again, which actually sounds perfect to me. Like, there's something yeah. about that that's like, yeah, mm. shit, yeah. I've, I've, a road diverged and I didn't know I was diverging on it and I've gone the wrong way. Yeah. Help. <laughs> Back in 2016, I should have painted exactly just mm. the contents of the silver tower box and gone, yeah, that's enough Warhammer me for me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I think, oh man, I still yeah. I think maybe cheap. Actually, tell you what, here's how you do it: find a friend who is into Warhammer. <laughs> no, is it ethical to advise someone trick a Games Workshop manager? Oh. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not fair. Intro painting session. Yeah, get your intro painting session. And and on the uh, table, steel paint in your mouth, and then go. Your <laughs> <laughs> cheeks like a hamster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then go home and spit it into a palette. No, um, I think I think you probably have to have a friend who paints models, mm. and then ask if you can go over and paint with them. And yeah, then that'd be a nice. Get them to paint it, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's probably the only way to do it, right? Like go over to a friend's house, borrow their paints and brushes, mm. have a nice time hanging out with a friend, and then never participate in that part of their life ever again. Yes. Maybe tell them this is what you're doing. <laughs> like, while we're on the subject of how to, you know, handle yourself in a social situation. Like, I mean, like, yeah. Say, hey, I only want to do this exactly once. Can I come over and borrow your paints? Mm-hmm. I think if someone said that to me, that'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think also you'll end up with a better looking model that way. Mm. Than either painting it in Sharpies yeah. or stealing paints from Games Workshop in your mouth. Like, lowest effort to most likely to look not awful is... Spray it with grey sear and slap some contrast on it. Hell yeah! But the, the that is a lot of buy-in. Mm, buy-in a lot of product for that. So yeah, find a friend. Yeah, borrow a friend's contrast is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they spill it, or hang around Tom. Yeah, and we'll get some of that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. free good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's free losing your deposit. 
Um, our uh, next and final question comes from 25 for 25 questions champion. That's right. It's Pete Fienia from Discord who writes, Hello there, Praetor Senior and Equerry Thurston. These are um, Horus Heresy uh, ranks that you can have for Legion champions and things. So I'm going to add Consul. Ooh, Lord. Ah, there you go. Thanks. That's better the than the service <laughs> <laughs> That's the cheapest one. That's the one you get if you don't make any choices. Oh, fair enough. Um, you can be a forge master if you like, or a master of signals, or yeah. or there's an es- esoterist. There's loads of space marine roles that don't exist in 40k. Which yeah. are great. What's the one with two pistols? A Moriat. There, we'll a go Legion Moriat. Okay, just a cool cowboy. Yeah. Um, my question is, why did I get involved in 30k now of all <laughs> times? Is there something to be said for just getting into a new game system because the fantasy and the models for it excite you even though you don't know what the scene is like and the rules aren't necessarily what you're after? Or do I just have a problem with trying to collect all things? Love the pod, Pete slash Fernie from Discord. So full disclaimer at the top of the pod, um, I have agreed to do a slow grow 30k campaign this year. So this is also a thing that affects me. Um, I have I have made the same mistake. Mm. I think, and there's a lot of people getting into 30k at the moment, and I think the reason is because you're old yeah well there are reasons that are aesthetic like it, it has the appeal of a historical war game but without the Nazis um, that's yeah. actually really true yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's it's like a fake atrocity like you can yeah. you can be like well my army reflects the I don't know the Raven Guard after the drop site massacre mm. and that's not a real thing that happened to real people no. it happened to some pretend space people and hasn't even happened yet because it's in the year 30,000 which is yeah. very far away um, I think the other reason is because we're all engaged in some sort of mass psychic act of summoning the end of 7th edition Horus Heresy. Like, I think the idea is if we all buy, spend like 70 quid on uh, rule books for the current Age of Darkness stuff, mm. that they will then update it to 8th edition. Yeah. Just to invalidate all of those, all of that money spent. Yes. Like a kind of... um not crowdfunding, more like a kind of vast act of like ritual um, hobby magic. Sacrifice. Yeah, exactly, a sacrifice. Um, I don't know. The uh, The broader question here is about getting into like the appeal of a new game system. Like, mm. And it's interesting maybe to try and separate that from the appeal of like a new army or, or the sort of new project. Yeah. Like, how does this manifest for you and can you resist it? <laughs> so I think the answer is I mean putting aside uh the danger of investing in anything Forge World. Mm, right. That's a big thing. On the level of investing in resin and also a company that may just stop producing that yeah. at any moment mm. with no warning. Putting that aside. <laughs> New game systems are terrifying. Like, they're so easy to invest in. And then you do nothing with it. Mm. Like, my really, really useful box full of plastic Russian tanks. Mm. That are probably never going to go on the table. <laughs> yeah. But I love them. What? Yeah, that's interesting. Because I feel like, in a way, I agreed to this slow grow, partly because I'm cheating, because I already have a bunch of Thousand Suns that mm. I just want to do a bit of work on and rebase and things. And this is a way of actually like making good on a series of rash decisions from two years ago right mm. it's like i'm going to turn this into a little army and then that project is done and yeah. 
this sort of like halfway house project that is sort of an army and sort of not and sort of for a game system I play and sort of not will actually become a thing yeah and then may die or or live or, or be reborn or be reborn or turn into dust <laughs> <laughs> I think it goes really well for the Thousand Sons I don't know it's such an interesting dynamic because I think it's always there this temptation um, and like I've got Titanicus upstairs ready to go and I really want to play it and it's only four models I need to paint to play it but um, it's also I've also sort of set it up in my mind and it keeps getting pushed until after the next AOS thing or whatever mm-hmm. I don't know it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing like Tommy does seem to suffer from this as much as I'm kind of daunted by uh, new game systems I feel like it's a I find them quite difficult to crack in terms of actually parting what's going to be good in the game or what's mm. going to be fun in the game those are two very different things as well and to what extent you'd be able to hit that sweet spot both at the moment we've done it like a couple of times mm. and our experiences of it have usually been brief like we've kind of played a couple of games of Battlefleet Gothic mm. but we always end up going back yeah, to Sigma the rules that we understand the most and yes. can just jump into quite easily mm-hmm. um, the Gothic's fun but uh, I'm not very good at it and don't have the time to invest in getting any good at it at all. Um, whereas Eris, I can win a game of Eris sometimes and enjoy the... I've got just such an easy grasp of the rules now after years of playing it that it's mm-hmm. just a, it's like a comfortable bath. I think I couldn't imagine having an equivalent investment in multiple game systems. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. Right. Like, I think AOS is always going to be the one that gets the most time. Yeah. And like, I, I would like to have a perfectly functional... 2,000 point-ish 40k army mm-hmm. for when I want to play 40k mm-hmm. but I'm unlikely to to sort of get drawn into another part of it or build it out in a different direction yeah and I quite like like I'm, I've got this little 1500 point Titanicus force and I had no intention of building it beyond that I'd just like to be able to show up to a community event or something like that or just casual mm-hmm. games playing yeah. a game of Titanicus and have yeah, the models the cupboard um, I think that's probably the way to approach it I feel like there's also the weight of the hobby side, which I think, in a way, one of the few people in the world that I would give the dispensation to is Fee, <laughs> because he paints so fast. It's mm. terrifying. The, there's, like, the investment isn't kind of the same. Mm. Like, I mean, I, I mean, obviously it is, because the effort is still being put in. Um, but clearly some degree of, like, there's either some degree of laziness, inertia... Um, pain or stress that isn't present <laughs> that is you know yeah, yeah. like the, the psychic tax of grey plastic is not is something he is successfully outrunning and he's the only person I know who is outrunning it <laughs> so you know like there is that as well it's an interesting question because I, I think we've returned to it a few times on the podcast that this is a collecting hobby as well as like a war game and yeah, a fictional can... setting and all yeah. the rest of it and collecting is nice like it just is it's nice to gather things purchasing's progress right yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just nice to, but it's also just nice to gather the objects, and yeah. then you have, then those are yours. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's nice, it's it's nice to, it does. Yeah, in twenty twenty, it's nice to own things. Yeah, man. Mm. I think that's like I've had this conversation a bunch of times. Like that seems to be the great key to why this is happening. Yeah, there was a tweet the other day, uh, which was I think it's partially intended as a joke, but it was. I think it was a rewording of another tweet, which is something like, all of my radical friends are XXX mm-hmm. doing this sort of a, like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm surprised to find that all of my radi- radical friends are blank. And it was just, I'm surprised to find that all of my radical friends are painting Citadel miniatures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, it really, it's, it's true. Like there's, there's extraordinary kind of resurgence of miniature yeah. painting. And I don't know if it's simply that 
we, you know, if we're talking about we in this case, we're talking about men in, in the 30s or people in their 30s who were, I say men specifically because we were people being aggressively pushed into games workshops mm. aged 15 and 16 in the late 90s. Yeah. Like we're the... Free daycare. Yeah, <laughs> free daycare mm. for your parents in a way that was uh, far more likely to be a reality f- for you if you were a middle-class white boy in 1998. Yeah. Like, one of my friends always says that when you turn about 13 and you're a middle-class white boy in England, a little gremlin jumps on your back and he pushes you into a games workshop. Yeah, right. And he makes you buy lots of skeletons. Right, it's like if you're a middle-class white man in England in 2015 onwards, a little gremlin jumps on your bike and he gives you a podcast microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Off you go. Um... And, uh, yeah, like, this, this, you know, there's probably a bunch of cultural, psychological reasons for this journey to the middle of the comfort zone. <laughs> a, yeah. A, a response to some great existential stress, but not that much. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, it's fascinating. But I do think the collecting aspect is a big part of it. And it's something I've had to make peace with over the last year. Like, even as I gear up to this year, which I fully intend, I'm saying this now, in January, to be more about just finishing some projects and not worrying about things and it's why it's really nice to not really want elves I've well, got to love me <laughs> yeah I've you're about to have my 2019 that's very true yeah I've planned out 2021 have you I'm at that point now wow it's ridiculous wow you're on a little level I just, what is the plan carriage my floors <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah nice that's where the ether war came from that's where ether yeah. war and yeah. that's where it will lie for the next year yeah. mm. <laughs> oh man I don't think there's shame in any of it unless you've somehow kind of caused harm to yourself. Yeah, unless it's oh, ruining yeah, it's your life. Like, yeah. Yeah. For context, they all stared into space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fee, if it is, let us know, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just come play Horus Heresy with me. It's fun. Figure out how Thousand Suns work. I think they failed. They get perils of the warp and they all turn into dust. That's fully what I'm expecting. My experience of what they do. I've <laughs> played them once or twice. Uh, that is all the questions we have this month. Mm-hmm. If you would, because probably we, we got such a huge pile of them over the break and everyone was surprised that we returned. Yeah, <laughs> I thought we were dead. Because they didn't think it was a break, they thought we died. The If you would like to send us a question for the Miniatures podcast, you can do so by emailing us at miniatures at crateandcrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at Minis Monthly, and find the community once again uh, at on the Crate and Crowbar Discord. Uh, the link is on CrateandCrowbar.com, and you're looking for the role models section and the main chat in there. Uh, Kemp, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Right. Uh, how can people find out about your uh, how, about how you, you feel about Nagash? I, well, <laughs> they can find out how I feel about Nagash literally daily on the Discord, but you could follow me on Instagram, where I'm very helpfully 37 visible skulls, <laughs> all in words, all one word. <laughs> <laughs> what is that from? Um, it is from, you know, the um, the model of the Terminator chaplain yeah. covered in skulls. <laughs> it's from him. Is that how many there are? I think so. <laughs> Tom, how can people follow your exploits as you spill contrast on objects? Uh, yes, um, uh, you can find me also on Instagram at Ludo Paints Minis, which is L E D O Paints Minis, and hopefully there'll be some Skidara appearing on there soon. I've posted there for a while. Time to get back into hobby. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and <laughs> if you'd like to find me on Instagram, it's Exit Warp. That's E X I T W A R P, uh, where I basically just post pictures of tentacle monsters now. Yeah. Mm. It's okay. good. Thanks, Thanks for listening, listening everybody. <laughs> Matt nodded for the for the, <laughs> for the podcast. I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs>